Hey, good morning, guys. Welcome to our Saturday seminar on evangelism. We're grateful that you saw it fit on a Saturday morning to come out here and spend time talking about something that's challenging for us to do. And we pray that the Lord would use this time to grow us in our confidence and in our competency um, to go share the gospel with our neighbors. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Alex Schroeder. I'm the discipleship minister here at Desert Springs. Um, so, like I said, we're spending this morning talking about evangelism. If you saw these on the way in, I hope you grabbed a copy of them. If you didn't, feel free to head on back and grab some of these resources. They'll be helpful to you today while we have our sessions. Um, to give you a bit of an overview of what to expect today, we're going to have three sessions and one Q&A time at the end. Our first session is going to be led by Chase uh, Jacobs. Chase is our executive pastor here and will be leading us in a discussion on evangelism and the sovereignty of God. After that, we'll have Josiah Bellflower come and talk about the how and the what of evangelism. And then finally, we'll have Daniel Abeda come and lead a discussion on boldness and evangelism. So I would encourage you guys, I mentioned at the very end that we're going to have a Q&A time. So even now, begin writing down questions in your notes that you think would be helpful for you or for others in the room to have a little bit more pointed discussion on with some of these speakers. So we, as I've said, we're praying today that uh, what the outcome is that we will grow in our competency in sharing the gospel and our um, confidence that the gospel is God's means of salvation to an unbelieving world. So I'm going to pray and get out of the way and let these other speakers come up and lead our time. So uh, if you would join me in prayer. Father, we are so grateful to come together and we are grateful to get to talk about something that um, is the means of salvation. God, we're reminded that we came to know you because somebody told us the gospel. And you worked through people sharing about what Jesus has done for sinners. You've done that in our lives, and God, would you grow us in boldness and a desire and confidence to talk openly and joyfully about our faith. God, use this time, please. Be with our speakers to speak clearly. Be with us as hearers and listeners to listen attentively. And God, would you be glorified, and would you do much work in us as a church? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. So I was thinking the last Saturday seminar that I taught was the uh, seminar on race and justice and diversity. And I have to say this one was a lot more fun to get ready for, this seminar on evangelism. Uh, and I've been joking with uh, some of the leaders in our church that if there was more interest in that seminar on this controversial cultural issue than there was interest in this seminar on evangelism, then it was going to come out in a sermon because that would mean that our wires were crossed. That would mean that we had uh, made something less essential, more essential than it ought to be. That, that might have been an indicator that our heart as a church was wrong. And so I'm very glad to see that you are all here. And I'm very, very encouraged by all of the interest that uh, we have received in both this seminar and in this push, this challenge that we have made for our church to be sharing the gospel uh, more intentionally throughout the year 2022. It's been so sweet to talk to brothers and sisters in our church, to uh, hear them be telling me some story about something that's going on in their life, and someone will say something like, oh yeah, well I was talking to my sister, oh she's one of my two by the way, and then they go on, or somebody will say, hey, uh, one of my two is coming to church with me next Sunday. I just hear this over and over and over again, and it has been so sweet to uh, see the way that God is moving in our church, getting us excited, giving us opportunities to talk about sharing the gospel. And so like Alex said, I, our hope this morning is that this time will 
well, just further that along, that it will help us to do this thing that is of utmost importance. Church, this is why we're here, is to spread God's glory broader and deeper, to share the gospel. And so if we're not excited about this, then, then again, we're missing something huge in the life of our faith. Well, this morning, I'm going to try and keep my task pretty narrow, uh, because I could go on and talk about all kinds of other things out of this, but I want to keep my task narrow uh, with what I'm talking about in this talk, and I really just want to do two things. First, I want to give us kind of a basic definition of evangelism. What is evangelism and and, um, the historical context that this idea of evangelism is coming out? And then the other thing that we want to talk about is how... uh, our view of God's sovereignty, our theology of God's sovereignty influences and even encourages us to share the gospel. So those are the two big things that I want to get done. I don't have any handouts. I don't have any slides. I'm going to try and just keep this to uh, these basic things. So first, let's talk about this word evangelism and how do we define the word evangelism. Where do we even get the word evangelism? It's, it's actually a strange word if you think about it. There's not words in English that sound like this. Well, evangelism comes straight from the Greek word euangelion. Uh, so it's E-U in Greek is a prefix that means good. E-U and angelion means news. And so you can actually see in that word angelion, or you can hear there's where we get the word angel comes from that word. An angel is a messenger. The Greek word angelos is a messenger. And so that can be a human messenger or a divine messenger. But you put it together, you, angelion, good news. That's what it means. Uh, That came to us by way of the Latin, evangelium, and that's where we get evangelism. Okay, but it has to do with this idea of good news. And then you've probably heard our word gospel. That's from a Germanic uh, root, and it's the same thing. God, good, spell, story. So when we say gospel, we're just saying good news. It's all the same thing. That's the idea, good news. And then you have uh, in Greek this verb form of that, and it's euangelizomai. So you can write that down and impress your friends at parties, euangelizomai. But that's the same evangelize. That's our word. And so it is to gospelize. It is to go out with that good news and to announce the gospel, okay? To announce that good news. There's one more word in Greek that's used, and that is euangelistes, and that's where we get the word evangelist. So an euangelistes is someone that is what? Evangelizing with that evangel. They've got the good news. They go out. They share the good news. They're called an evangelist. So that word comes up in the New Testament. Philip is called an evangelist. Paul tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Okay, But uh, while there's maybe this idea that some people are especially gifted as evangelists in the New Testament, really the idea is that every Christian is to be an evangelist. And those people that are really gifted, it's just their job to help everybody to be good evangelists. But there's a really neat historical context to this idea of evangelism, which is actually a word that isn't in the Greek evangelism, but we know what it means. It's just taking these ideas of the good news, the evangel, and the act of it, talking about it. But there's a context for this that has always been really neat and encouraging for me. So to understand what evangelism is, you have to go back thousands of years, and think about how news spread. How did people get information in the ancient world? Because news could only spread as fast as your feet could carry you. Or maybe you're riding a horse, or maybe you're on a boat. But for the most part, it's just as fast as somebody could run with good news. And so the context, the original context that this idea of evangelism comes from is imagine that we are all in a city, an ancient city, and we are walled in. 
Okay, so there's big walls around our city. We're all in this city. And we get word that there is an enemy army that is making its way through our land, and they are coming to conquer us. And so we have to go fight them. And so we muster all of the strongest people in our city, and they form our army, and we send them out to go fight. But for some reason, all of us, we're still in here. We didn't get to go out and fight. We are just in the city. They've closed the city gates, and our army has gone out to fight. And we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how long it's going to take for them to engage this other army. We don't know if our army is bigger than their army. We don't know anything. And we're just here waiting. For what? For news. And so what we would do is we would put people on the walls of our city and they're watchmen. And they're looking out over the horizon looking to see, first, is there a big army coming our way? Then we're in trouble. And we need to let everybody know that we should run as fast as we can. But really what they're hoping to see is just one guy running down the road, coming to our city, running as fast as he can. And when he starts getting close enough that they can hear, they just hear him saying, we won, we won. And then the watchmen turn around and they shout to all of us inside the city and say, we won, we did it. And then that news starts spreading through the whole city, this news of victory. And there's this corporate response of joy in our city. And that one little guy running, he's the evangelist. That's the historical context of this word. You can read it in the Hebrew scriptures and actually in ancient Greek documents. This is what an evangelist was. It had to do first originally with this military context of someone sharing news of victory with people that really needed to hear it. And this was a very, I mean, imagine, again, you don't have Twitter, you don't have phones, okay? You don't even have, you know, messenger pigeons, right? You just have people, running. And so there was this whole neat culture built around this concept of the evangelist. So people wanted to be the evangelist. People wanted to be the fastest runner in their army, and they wanted to be the one that got to come back and bring news to the city. And if you were the evangelist and you were the first one to get there with the good news, they usually gave you a goat as a reward. So people wanted to be the evangelist. They wanted to incentivize the spread of good news. That's where this idea came from. Here are, the, here are the, the components in this, the elements in this. There is news, and what is it? It's news of victory. Victory is key in this, that someone has won, and that's the good news, that there has been victory here. And then there has been a witness to that fact. So the evangelist was somebody that was with the army, saw the victory happen, and had certainty that they could come and relay to these people that needed to hear it. So then they're coming to us, to this audience that wants to hear the good news, and they are announcing it. They are proclaiming it. They're not trying to persuade you of it. They're not trying to, you know, give you good arguments. They're just coming and saying, this is the way it is. We won, and that's really good news. And then there's the implied response, which is a joyful reception of that good news. We don't have time to get into this today, but a neat exercise, if you have time, if you're trying to think of what book of the Bible to study next, if you read the books of Samuel's, uh, Samuel and Kings, there are lots of examples of this idea. Because remember, these books have lots of battles in them, don't they? They have lots of people fighting, and you will see several examples. It doesn't call them evangelists, although you will see the phrase good news or glad tidings, depending on what version you have. But you will see this idea throughout those two books of somebody saying, I want to go and tell everybody the good news, or I'm coming back from the field with this report, this good news. 
but that's how this, that's the historical roots of this idea. What's really neat in the Old Testament is that the, the, New Test, or the Old Testament writers started taking that historical concept of the evangelist in this very military context, this, this on-the-ground military context, they started using it theologically. They started using it to talk about God and his deliverance, about God and his victory. Okay, because that is what God is doing, right? That there were many cases, even in the Old Testament, of God going out and doing incredible, incredible things, even military things, even defeating armies himself. But God going out and delivering or saving or, or granting uh, the requests of his people. And the Old Testament writers were often using this same metaphor of an evangelist to talk about how they ought to relay what God has done. So Psalm 40 is a really good example of this. David is talking about how he has been delivered from something that was really uh, scary or dangerous for him. And in Psalm 40, verse 9, he says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. I have been an evangelist. I have shared the gospel of God's deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. So David feels like God had delivered him, done this work, and he sees himself in the role of an evangelist to go to the community of faith and say, good news, this is what God has done for me, announcing it to them. There's other examples of this. You could look at Psalm 68, 11. The best example of this in the Old Testament is Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52, and in its context, this is really cool, Isaiah is actually prophesying about God's people being in exile, and then that God is going to deliver them from exile. So, so he's sharing good news of a future deliverance. It's not something that's already happened. It's something that's going to happen. And Isaiah 52, while it's immediately about the exile from Babylon, it's got broader implications for, really eschatological implications for the deliverance that God's going to work at the end of time. And so he's looking forward and envisioning this good news of future salvation. And this is what he says. So listen to this. This is Isaiah 52. You've probably heard these verses before, but think about them in the context of what we were talking about with the, uh, the military victory. Isaiah says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. You hear that's a victory statement. Your God reigns. He has won. He is victorious. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Hallelujah, right? Amen, amen. So, there's lots of other places in the Old Testament that we could look, but do you see how this idea of the evangelist is getting developed in the Old Testament? Well, that all gets picked up in the New Testament in a really, really cool way. This, this idea of God being the one that ultimately wins victory, and then God's people being the ones that announce the good news of God's salvation. So you come to the gospel books, the books that we call gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Mark chapter 1 verse 1 says this. This is kind of the heading of the whole book. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
So Mark is saying this whole book is an announcement of good news situated in Jesus Christ and the work that Jesus Christ has done. And then Jesus himself in Mark 1.14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. He's doing what Isaiah was talking about. He's doing what David was doing, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, this announcement of God's victory. That's what the New Testament authors are meaning when they say the gospel. It's an announcement of victory in Jesus Christ. Victory over what? Victory over sin, victory over death, victory over the devil. Where was it won when Jesus came out of the tomb? That's the announcement of victory. And so our gospel as Christians, this gospel of Jesus Christ is the announcement of Jesus' victory over our greatest enemies. And so just like in the Old Testament, just like in that ancient context, there is a victory. There are witnesses to that victory. Okay, This is fundamental to our understanding of how the gospel works is that it was something that was uh, witnessed by the apostles. Okay, The apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus came out of the grave. That was where the victory was won. That was where the victory over death and sin was won. He came up out of the grave and people saw him. They saw the victory. Paul says Jesus, the, raise, the risen Jesus appeared to 500 people. And so they were witnesses. But then all of us who have believed in Christ have become witnesses of that same victory. We've seen it in ourselves. We've seen it in the work of other people. And then we are relaying. We're the ones that are spreading that same message of victory. Even though we didn't see it with our own eyes, we are still witnesses. And so that's what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So every Christian is a witness of the victory. And just like the evangelists in the ancient world, we are to go to the people that need to hear that news, that are waiting, that are uncertain, that, that live in fear of their enemies. We go to them and we announce that good news to them. We proclaim the good news to the people who hear it. I can't remember who this was. Maybe somebody will remember and come tell me afterwards. But I was re- reading somebody and they were talking about how, uh, just how interesting it was that we in America use the phrase, share the gospel. Um, and, and I'm not saying it's wrong to say that you share the gospel. He was just saying that's kind of an interesting word because that's not the way that the Bible uses or talks about the gospel. Because share almost implies like you, you know, you've got this big bowl of popcorn and you're like, hey, do you, do, you want, do you want some of this? No, okay, never, you know. But no, we don't share the gospel. We announce the gospel. We proclaim the gospel. We preach the gospel. We are telling people about something that has definitively happened. Jesus has risen from the dead. Victory has been won. And we are just announcing that. That's what we're called to do. And this is what the Apostle Paul says in First Romans chapter 1. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of this announcement of victory. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, everyone. So who needs to hear this message? Everyone, the Jew first and also the Greek, okay? Or in Romans chapter 10, and he's gonna pick up on this Isaiah language. In Romans chapter 10, verse 10, Paul says, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. In Romans ten thirteen, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And who's speaking the word of Christ? We are. The witnesses. How are they going to hear unless someone preaches? How are they going to preach unless we're sent? So we're sent. We're sent to go preach the gospel. So all of this uh, starts raising these questions, okay, that, that we're going, we're evangelists, we're sharing this good news to people that need to hear it, but not everybody responds with joy to the gospel, right? Not everybody is as excited about this message as we are. And so how do we explain this? How do we understand this? This is, I think, a lot of times where we have difficulty in sharing the gospel is we're not really sure what to do with these different responses to the gospel in light of these things. And this is, our, this is where it starts intersecting with uh, our theology of God's sovereignty in salvation. And we start asking some of these questions about um, how, how does this work, that God has appointed some people to be saved, God has chosen or elected, predestined some people to be saved, and other people he hasn't. And how does this all fit, you know, that we're getting these different responses from people, and what do we do? And it can be very uh, confusing, and it can even be um, discouraging at times if you're not thinking about this the right way. And so this is the second part of what I want to talk about, is just this idea of evangelism and how it fits with our theology of God's sovereignty. And I wish I had more time to defend these doctrines themselves, these doctrines of election and predestination, but, uh, but I don't. But thankfully, turns out, uh, on, in our DSI class this Wednesday, Pastor Ryan is going to get into some of this stuff. He's going to get into these ideas of God choosing before the foundation of the world and how that applies to our own salvation in uh, time and space when, when it comes to us. And so if you are confused about these ideas, these doctrines that we're going to be talking about, if you've never heard this before, that's okay. It's awesome. And you should come or check out the class that's on Wednesday night. You should keep on learning about this. But I want to talk about how these things particularly uh, pertain to our idea of evangelism. And, and just so we do know what I mean when I'm talking about God's sovereignty, predestination, election. This is what we believe. Okay, This is what the Bible teaches. Is that God... Before the world was even created, so before any person existed and had done anything good or bad, God chose those whom he is going to save. And then as history unfolds and as time uh, plays out, God is working in the lives of those people whom he has chosen in Christ to save before the foundation of the world. And those are the ones whom he ultimately brings to faith and repentance. And that God is saving the elect throughout, the, throughout time and space and history. And this is important for us. Okay, this is, this is crucial for us. And probably one of the sweetest doctrines is that this idea that God is the one that's in charge of salvation. God is the one that does the work. We don't bring anything to our salvation and we can't save ourselves, right? Uh, the only way that we are saved is that God chose to save us because he loved us. Because God showed grace to us. It wasn't because we were good or better. It was all of us were dead and wicked and sinful. And God in his grace decided to save some of us. And this is sweet news. And it raises lots of questions. Again, this is something of a a bit of a mystery. And you can get more into this. But this is what we believe. So Ephesians 1. This is all over the Bible. But Ephesians 1 is especially clear. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, 
according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. So Paul's very clear there. And when he says predestined, he means predestined. Paul believes in predestination. Okay? When Paul says chose or elected, when he says God chose or elected us according to the counsel of his will, Paul means God chose us according to the counsel of his will. This is what it is. This is, this is how it works. And so it should then kind of raise questions for us. Of, okay, how does this work? How does this fit? What's, what's sometimes called Calvinism, which is not a word that I like to use. It's not a word that I like to apply to myself because I don't agree with everything that John Calvin said. Okay, or, but, so I prefer the, the idea of reformed. Okay, so I'll say I'm reformed, that I believe that God is, going back to these principles of the Reformation, God is saving people who don't deserve to be saved according to his grace and according to his power. Or the, the title, if you want to label this something, the label that I like the most, Big God Theology. I have big God theology. I'm not, I'm small. I don't do anything. I don't bring anything to this equation, both for my own salvation and for the salvation of other people. God is big. And I love this big God theology. But again, it's confusing. I was uh, thinking about this, that there was a while where my wife's right here, we were wanting to move to Portland, Oregon, and a pastor in Portland, Oregon. And actually, we were trying to get uh, Tate Madzima and his family to go with us, too. Didn't work out. I'm glad. I'm glad we're in Albuquerque. But we were trying to go plant a church in Portland, Oregon, and I was talking to a pastor that was up there, and there's not a lot of churches like ours in Portland, Oregon. And so I was talking to this, uh, this other pastor that we were talking about partnering with, and he said, okay, I just have to ask, how reformed are you? And, I, you know, it's kind of like when you ask somebody, how pregnant are they? It's like, I'm, you know, I'm reformed. Like, there's not, there's not like a degree of reformed. I'm just, I am. And, but, I, but I told him, like, yeah, man, I love this stuff. Like, I, I think this is, this is right theology. I think this is sweet theology. This is very, very important to me. And he goes, okay, but as long as you still believe in preaching the gospel to people. And I was like, yes, sir, I do. But that's a common misconception. It's a common misconception that I think even people with this theology can have. Because God has already chosen who he's going to save before the foundation of the world, we don't really have to do anything. But that's not biblical at all. That doesn't fit in with this idea of evangelism. We are witnesses to the victory. We go to proclaim the victory, okay? And so... That's, that's not right, and we need to understand how this does apply. And actually, what I told this man was, sir, this theology, rather than being something that makes me lazy about evangelism, it's the reason I do evangelism. The reason I share the gospel is because I have this big God theology. This is why, this is my encouragement, because if I didn't have this theology, I would be a nervous wreck going out and sharing the gospel. It, that would be a deterrent to me, but this theology that I have is the encouragement to me sharing the gospel. So, what do we do with this? How do, we, how do we fit this all back together? Well, I think it helps to go back to that idea of people in the city. People in the city that are waiting for news from what is happening in the battle out there. Well, in that analogy that I used, everybody in the city is of one mind. We want everybody to come, or we want the evangelists to come and tell us that our army won. But imagine that we're in a city, and the people in the city are of two minds about what is the best outcome. Some people in the city really want our army to go out and win, but some people in the city actually think it would be better if we were part of that other army, if we were part of that other empire. And so there's division in the city. And so when the evangelist comes back and he announces, hey, we won, to some people that's going to be really, really good news, but to other people that's going to be bad news. And that is how 
our evangelism works. Okay, remember what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians, that there are essentially just, not essentially, there are two kingdoms. There is the domain of darkness, and there is the kingdom of the beloved son. And some people are transferred from the one into the other, but there's only two teams here. And so some people are going to be excited that the kingdom of the beloved son is advancing, and some people are going to hate that. Think of what the, or the Apostle John says, right? That people hate the light. They love darkness, and so they hate what is happening there. But other people love the light. They come into the light, and they are brought into the kingdom of the Son. And so there are two kinds of people, those people that this is good news for and those people that are, this is bad news for. And this goes back to those purposes of election that God did in the, before the foundation of the world. In 2 Corinthians 2, Paul says this, Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now listen to this. For we, so people going out, talking about Christ, spreading the fragrance of Christ throughout the world, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So he's talking about two groups. To one, a fragrance from death to death and to the other a fragrance from life to life. And so Paul says, Christians go out and we smell. We go out and we smell like Christ. And to some people, it's like cilantro, right? Some people, they eat it and it tastes really good. And to other people, they eat it and it tastes like soap. Okay? And there's just nothing you can do about it. And Paul is saying that's kind of how the gospel works, that you go out and you share the gospel. And to some people, this is going to be from life to life. They're going to hear that and it's going to smell, yes, give me more. I want to eat whatever that is. It smells so good. And other people are going to think that smells like death and I hate it and I want to work against it. I want to fight against it. That's the reality. That's who we're going to, to people of two minds when we're proclaiming this gospel. But do you hear in that? We're not in charge of their response. We're not in charge of that, okay? That's all to do with God's sovereign purposes. We just go out. So some people, when they hear the gospel from us, they're going to respond with joy and excitement, okay? This is like what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1. We know, brothers, talking to the Thessalonian church, that you are loved by God and that he has chosen you. We know that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, we know you're chosen because when we preached the gospel to you, it was life to you, and you believed it with full conviction. Acts chapter 13, in verse 48, so this is after Paul and Barnabas, are, they're in Pisidian Antioch, and he's, he's preaching the gospel. They have this very long sermon Paul preaches, and then it says, when the Gentiles heard this message, this good news, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many as were appointed to eternal life, they heard that gospel and they believed. So that's going to happen with some people. And at the same time, when you're sharing the gospel with someone else and they reject it, they, they, don't, they, they don't like what you have to say. It's not because you did something wrong. Okay, this is what God had purposed for them in their life. So 1 Peter 2, I think, is very, very helpful here. So this is 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 9. I'm going to read this whole thing. Peter says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Listen to this. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that, what? You may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now again, if this is new for you, I've probably just raised more questions than I've answered. Again, come on Wednesday, let's go get coffee and we can talk more about these things. But we need to really get down into the the work of how does this relate to our evangelism? How is this, like I said to that man, this is an encouragement for evangelism. This is why I do evangelism. So I want to give you three reasons that this is an encouragement for you. This big God theology is an encouragement to you for our evangelism. Reason number one, if you believe this, that God is ultimately the one that is in charge of saving and God has purposed before the foundations of the world, the people that will believe and be saved. If you really believe that, then you cannot mess up evangelism. Do you get that? If you believe that that's true, then you can't mess up. You can't do this wrong. You can't screw somebody up, okay? This also means that you're not better than you think you are. Did I say that right? This means evangelism's not up to you, is what I'm trying to say. Somebody being saved isn't because you're really, really good at this. It's because God is really, really good at saving people. Because God is the one that saves. Okay, so when you go out and you are trying to share this gospel with someone and it doesn't go well, that's not because you made a mistake. Nobody is going to go to hell because you're not very good yet at sharing the gospel. And you just need to hear that so that you're not afraid. Okay, you cannot thwart God's eternal purposes. Amen? That's good news. You can just relax. You just have to go out and proclaim the gospel. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't be better at it. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to be persuasive and convincing, that we shouldn't always be working on how we can be more clear in sharing this gospel. But what I'm just saying is that at the end of the day, you need to take yourself out of the equation. Okay, God is going to do what God has done. I have watched time and time again, because I used to do college ministry, and most of my job was just training college students how to share the gospel. And so part of what I would do is I would, I would give them skills and methods, and we'll, a lot of what we're doing today, okay, I would just teach them how to do this, and then I would go out with them, and I would just let them talk, and I would stand there and just listen to them, and I was, you know, I was really just going to let them go, let them have their chance, and then afterwards we would kind of process it and talk about it, talk about it, how it goes. And it was like watching a train wreck happen in slow motion motion so many times I'm like oh my gosh I can't believe you went with that I can't believe this is the way that you're trying to answer that question I can't you know and I'm just okay okay I'm just gonna trust God trust this and so they're like fumbling and bumbling through their articulation of the gospel and then this other person is like yeah I want that I want to believe that I'm like really that did it for you like that worked I've got so much other stuff I could you know but this is proof God's the one that saves people Right? God's the one. He uses broken vessels all the time to do this stuff because God is sovereign. And so this is an encouragement to us. Okay? And, and so we, we, we know, one, encouragement number one, we can't mess it up. Encouragement number two, this is why this big God theology should propel us to evangelism is because there are elect out there. There are elect out there. Again, Acts 13, 48, as many as were appointed to 
eternal life believed. There were people that God had appointed. He had tapped them before the foundation of the world. This one saved, this one saved, this one saved. And as soon as they hear the gospel, when I've worked this all out for Paul to come and preach the gospel to them, as soon as they hear the gospel, they're going to believe because I appointed them. Okay? So you can just imagine all of these people out there. Or I love Acts chapter 18. This is when the Apostle Paul is in Corinth, and he's already seen some evangelistic success. Some people have become disciples. They've gotten baptized. And then in 18.9, the Lord says to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And Paul stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now how cool is that that God told Paul that? Hey, I got people here. I've appointed people here. They're not in the church yet, but they're going to be. I know who they are. I know their names. I've known their names when I chose them in Christ before the foundation of the world. You're going to have a lot of success here. Don't be afraid. Stay here. Keep on speaking. Keep on proclaiming the gospel because I have my people here. I have to think that that's Albuquerque. You know, again, Paul's not, or God's not speaking to us this way in a, in a vision, so we don't know. This could just be, by God's wisdom, a very, very hard field but I don't feel that way. I feel like if God was to come to us, he would say, hey, I've got lots of people in Albuquerque, so don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. My people are there. They're appointed for salvation, and as soon as you share the gospel with them, it's time. That purpose that I had for them in eternity past, it's coming to reality today. I've got lots of people here in Albuquerque, but we don't know who that is. We don't know who they are. Again, when I was doing college ministry with, with these students, we would often pray that. God, lead us to your elect. We're going to just go out and walk on campus, and we're going to walk up to total strangers. But God, you know who are yours. You know who you've appointed. God, it'd be really nice if you just led us to those people today. And we would pray that. That's okay to pray. Charles Spurgeon uh, is said to have said, I couldn't find where he said this, but uh, he, said to his, he is said to have said that if God had painted a yellow stripe on the back of everyone who was elect, then Spurgeon would just walk around London pulling up everybody's shirt tails. And he would only share the gospel with them because he knew that's where the success would be. But God hasn't done that. And so Spurgeon says, so we just preach to who, we, we preach whosoever wills. We go out and we preach the gospel to everybody. And those that respond in faith, he knows, oh, those were the ones that God had elected. We don't know. It's not for us to know. God in his wisdom has not told us these things. He's only told us what we're supposed to do, which is to go out and to preach the gospel. But we can have confidence. God has chosen. God will save a people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And so we know that we will have some degree of success. We just have to go out. I think I said this before. But when we go door to door, we're just really knocking on the door and asking, hey, are you elect? Did God choose you before the foundation of the world? Okay, no? Okay, well, we'll see you later. That's not true. That's actually uh, not true. And this goes to our third encouragement. No matter what happens, no matter how someone responds, whether uh, in faith or not, this is all to the glory of God. Okay, the core of our big God theology is that God does everything he does to terminate back on him in his glory, that he would be glorified. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. 
but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth. Do you hear all of this? Talking, saying, stating, announcing. This is just, you're saying it. That's what evangelism is. You are proclaiming, you are saying what happened, okay? We commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God, and even if our gospel is veiled, even if our gospel is veiled, so people hear the gospel and it doesn't break through, the Holy Spirit doesn't do that work of giving them understanding, of illuminating their heart, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Paul knows this is the reality in our ministry, but that whole section begins with, we don't lose heart. God is accomplishing his purposes in what we're doing. So even if it's veiled, we know why that's happening. The God of this age has blinded their hearts, but we're not about that. We're not discouraged by people that aren't receiving this message. We know God is doing everything for his purposes. The best place that we could look at this is Romans chapter 9. And I'm not going to... Romans chapter 9 is a notoriously thick, complex, and even confusing argument, and we're not going to be able to get into that Go take Pastor Ryan out for coffee and ask him all about Romans 9. He would love to tell you about it. I hope you would. But what there Paul is saying is that when people, in this case particularly the Jewish people, but when anybody hears the gospel and they don't believe, in verse 6 of chapter 9, he says, hey, it's not as though God's word has failed. That's really important. Even when people hear the gospel and they don't respond it, Paul is saying the word of God didn't fail there. It reminds us of Isaiah 55. God says, my word, when it goes out from my, my mouth, shall not return to me empty. This is verse 11. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. Every time my word goes out, every time someone speaks my word, no matter what, it accomplishes the purposes that God sent it out for. The word can't fail. But we need to have bigger categories for the purposes that God's word might have in someone's life. Now we want, when the word goes out, we want the purpose to be that God would use that word to save them, and we hope that that's what God's doing. But Romans chapter 9, the argument is that even God's word going out and being rejected actually accomplishes God's purpose in judgment on that person. And this is, this is hard, but this is what he's saying. So he uses Pharaoh as an example. Pharaoh had a hard heart, and it only got harder as Moses was proclaiming God's word to Pharaoh, it only got harder. And the reason for that was because God wanted to display his power in glory through his judgment and wrath on Pharaoh. So in Romans chapter 9, 20, he says, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? He asks, Has the potter no right over the clay? Does God have no right over the creatures that he's made to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles? So the big idea in what Paul is saying there. There's a lot that Paul is saying there. But again, the big idea is 
No matter what you do, when you share the gospel, it brings glory to God. However that person responds is not up to you, and either way it brings glory to God. So if you go out, you preach the gospel to somebody, they believe, and they're saved, well, that's not for your glory. That's for God's glory. God saved them for his glory. But if you go out and someone is, is, gets really upset with you, it goes really poorly, they're really mad at you, they're mean to you, even that is for the glory of God. It's for the glory of God because you were faithful to talk to them. You weren't afraid. You trusted God. You were bold. That glorifies God. God is glorified when you endure persecution, like Christ did. That brings glory to God. But what Paul is saying is that even if that person's heart stays hard their entire life, and ultimately they're judged, they're going to be judged with a stricter judgment for God's glory because you preach the gospel to them. So even if you have a bad interaction, you're glorifying God. And that's an encouragement. Okay? Don't you want to glorify God? Then that's what we do, and we don't worry about those responses. And this, this, I want to close with this, this last idea, okay? We're talking about these different responses. is saying all of this, again, we don't know. We don't know who's elect. We don't know who's not elect. And we can't even judge it by a bad response. We can't even judge it by a good response. Okay, we don't know until that person dies in faith. We don't know. Okay, really, until we're up there in heaven with God and say, yeah, you did make it. Okay, we just don't know. And so we need to also be careful that as we're going out trying to glorify God that we're, we're just not basing things off of these responses over much because God might be working in somebody who is being saved, but that conversation is not going well. That day that you shared the gospel with them was not the day that it was going to happen. Okay, I, I think I've shared this story before, but um, I, uh, when I was in college, a man shared the gospel with me when I was coming home from a party at 2 in the morning. He came and shared the gospel with me, and that conversation did not go well. I was really, really rude to him. I was very hard-hearted to him. And, and if he had walked away from that, he must have been thinking, yeah, that guy's reprobate. God's never going to save that guy, okay? But, I hope he didn't say that, but, but based off of that interaction, he could have concluded that, but God used that interaction to start working on me. And God used that in many more follow-up interactions. And so what looked like a bad conversation that night at 2 a.m. in Denton, Texas, led to me being a pastor, okay? So you just don't know what's going to happen. It's up to God. And so this is why I like uh, to this metaphor that gets developed and used a lot in the New Testament. Paul uses it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, talking about another worker for the gospel, but God gave the growth. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So this metaphor of gospel work comes up again and again in the New Testament. That gospel work is like farming. And in that, it's, it's progressive. In that, there's, there's a process to it. My favorite place where this gets fleshed out is in Mark chapter 4, where Jesus has several parables where he talks about what the kingdom is like. And, and it starts with the parable of the four soils. Okay, and you remember the kind of the big idea in that is that different people have different, their hearts are different soils that explains their different responses. So some people... It's like stony ground and nothing even happens. For some people, it's like it springs up really quickly, but then it dies really quickly. And so it was a good response that led to ultimately a false response. But then some people, it's really good soil and it bears fruit. But the point in that parable, right, is it's not about the soil. 
You don't go out and do soil analysis before you share the gospel with somebody. You just throw the seeds everywhere. You just throw them, and you, and you trust God with where it's going to land. But my favorite parable actually in that chapter begins in verse 26. There Jesus says, The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. The farmer goes out, he sows the seed, he goes to sleep, he wakes up, and he doesn't know how any of this works. He doesn't get it, he, and it's not up to him to know. I just got to plant these seeds, and then it grows, and I'm going to let the earth do its work. And I like this parable because it, it, there's a process to it. First, it's just a little blade. Then it's an ear. Then it's a full grain in the ear. And then it's the time to harvest. And so as we are going out, again, you don't need to know how this works. Sow the seed and go to bed. Wake up the next day, sow some more seed. Okay? You don't know where the seed is landing. And you don't know what God is doing. So if you go out, whether it's door to door, you're sitting down sharing the, coffee, uh, sharing the gospel over coffee with a friend or a family member, and it doesn't go well. It doesn't go the way that you wanted it to. You don't know where they are in the process. This could be someone that's perishing. This could be someone that God has appointed uh, for destruction, like Romans 9 says. But you don't know that. We hope not. That's not up for you to know. Okay. And even in sharing the gospel with them, God is being glorified but we hope this is someone that is being saved but we don't know where they are in the process maybe you sharing the gospel with them is the first time they've ever heard any of this stuff and you asking these questions it's starting to break up the ground a little bit in their heart or maybe you're sharing the gospel and you're actually one of those seeds is going to get in there but it's just a seed you, you don't see there's no fruit coming from a seed yet it's just planted there maybe you're watering a seed that somebody else planted a long time ago but it's still going to take time and maybe sometimes you're the one that gets to harvest. Sometimes you're the one that over years and years this person has finally gotten ready and you just get to take that fruit off the tree. They believe right then and there and it's genuine. You just, you never know. There's never been anyone that I have led to Christ that after I talked to them more about their background, mine was not the first conversation with them. Every time, yeah, you know, my dad was telling me this years ago or this came up and I've been thinking about this and there's been all of this pre-work that's been done and then God has just given me the privilege. It's really not even fair that I get to be the one that's there sharing the gospel with them where they finally believe it. But we pray for that. But we just don't know. It's God that gives the growth and it's God that gets the glory. Amen? Let's pray. God, encourage us. With your bigness, encourage us with your sovereignty and, and your good purposes, your good will. And Lord, I pray that you would send us out to trust you, that you will accomplish the purposes for which you send your word out. So send your word out. God, send your word out through Desert Springs Church and do stuff with it. Glorify yourself with it. And encourage us to do that more and more for Jesus' name. Amen. Man, brothers and sisters, aren't you glad that the Lord is sovereign and uses broken vessels like us for this purpose? Amen. Hey, we are going to take a bit of a, a break, so you're welcome to get up, walk around, stretch your legs, use the restroom, whatever you need. It is 9.52 right now. We'll be back in here, started in five minutes. Sound good? Great. Hey, guys, if you could grab a seat. Five minutes goes really fast. I'm sorry about that. We have a lot we want to do, and we want to get you out by noon. So, 
apologize for uh, yeah, the short break. Uh, you know, we are kind of, our three talks are really dealing with the three F's that keep us from sharing the gospel, frustration, fear, and feeling ill-equipped. Um, you know, Chase did a great job of dealing with frustration, like what do we, how do we understand a lack of fruit? Well, we trust in the sovereignty of God and that his word doesn't return void. And Daniel in a little bit is going to deal with fear and how to have gospel boldness. But another reason we don't share the gospel is that we uh, can feel ill-equipped, that we're not prepared to share, maybe because of bad experiences. So uh, please join me in, uh, as I pray that God helps us to feel equipped. God, we... We long for our friends and family members and our neighbors to know you. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you would bless this time. Help us to be equipped to share with each person that we encounter. Lord, uh, we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, you know, we've all had experiences of not feeling well equipped and it leaving us uh, frustrated. You know, maybe you started a big cooking project. You're getting into it and then you realize the whisk is dirty and in the sink, so now you got to clean that. And maybe some other things are needing to be cleaned in order for you to really get the project started. And then when you're, uh, now everything's clean and you go to, to, to start preparing and then there's no countertop space, so then you got to move everything out of the way. And then you finally get everything ready, you know, the, everything's clean, the countertops are, you know, cleared out of the open, and then you realize you don't have any eggs and so now you're running to the store, and, you know, that happens enough times, and cooking becomes very frustrating and something you don't want to do, uh, you know. But you look at people who cook a lot, and it's a seamless thing, right? And they can make tacos faster than you can go to Taco Cabana and come back. So we know uh, that it can be a frustrating experience, but with time, it can actually be something that's very seamless. And I, I believe there are... Um, Four words that can guide us through uh, how to share the gospel. And then I've got four words of what uh, we need to say in order to share the gospel. So we're going to first go over the four words of how to share the gospel. Um, the first word is pray. We're going to do pray, show, steer, and share. So the first word is pray. In Matthew 9, Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. The issue is not that there aren't elect that need to hear the gospel. The issue is that we need more laborers to go into the harvest. We need gospel boldness. We need the willingness to go and to prioritize our neighbors instead of ourselves. We need to go, and so we need to be praying for, for this. The big passage I want to look through for these four words is Colossians 4, 2 to 6, where Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, 
seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So first we pray. How should we pray? We should pray steadfastly. We should pray regularly for the lost. You know, this is of utmost importance that our neighbors and our friends and our family members come to know Jesus. It's as if, you know, we have real life struggles that God, actually, that God cares about, their concerns, but a lot of times they're almost like toothaches. You know, a toothache is serious and it's something that you think about every time you eat. It can affect you all day long. And so we're praying for that and we're, we're, we're seeking that to be remedied. And yet we have friends and family members and loved ones that have mortal injuries. They're dying from their wounds and it can be where all our focus is on our toothache and our friends are dying with their wounds. And so our prayers need to prioritize the gospel. I'm not saying don't pray for your toothache, don't pray for the things that daily ail you, that hurt you, but the first priority in our prayers, the thing that's most important, is that our friends and family members know Jesus. That's what's most important. And so when we pray for our family members, whatever their condition, the first thing we pray for, God, save them. Help them to know you. Help them to have eternity with you and joy everlasting in you. This is a matter of life and death. And so we pray steadfastly, regularly. And we pray before we go share the gospel. We don't share the gospel in our own power, with our own strength. We do it with the strength of the Lord. And we ask for him to help us and to give us the words to say and to empower our words. You know, our words you know, can fall flat, you can forget what I say, but the word of the Lord endures forever and it will not return void. So we pray and we ask God to use his word to save our friends and our family members. And we pray, how do we pray? We pray watchfully, like night watchmen. You know, night watchmen are looking out for the enemy. They can't fall asleep on the job or the whole city could perish. It is of utmost important that they're, they're vigilantly watching and waiting for the enemy to come. And so our prayers are vigilant. They're never ending. They're never ceasing. They're constantly praying for gospel expansion, for people that we encounter to come to know Jesus. Lives depend on it. John Piper called prayer a wartime walkie-talkie. I love that. We're constantly communicating with our great general, our king, and saying, God, send reinforcements. Send workers to the harvest. Here's a brother that needs, uh, here's a friend that needs to hear uh, about Jesus. Send more people into his life to share with them. You know, as you're sharing and, you know, you're casting seeds, you're praying for someone else to come and water and someone else to come and harvest. We're constantly approaching the Lord and asking for help. And we're praying with thanksgiving. And our thanksgiving, we're remembering what God has done in the past and how Jesus has defeated death. He rose again, and he has saved many. And he saved Desert Springs Church, the members of our church. But we're also thanking him for what he's going to do and how he's going to win a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so we pray with thanksgiving. We thank him for the future. So what should we be praying for? Well, we see in verse 3 
uh, we pray for open doors, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mysteries of Christ. We're praying for opportunities to share. You know, uh, God can, is directing the, our lives, and he's directing the life of the person you're going to share. And he can make things that were hidden apparent to them, struggles that they didn't even know they had, he can work in their lives so that it's revealed to them before you even come and talk. And so we're praying, God, open a door, make known to them their need for you. Help our conversation, guide our conversation so that things are said so that I can transition to the gospel and it feel natural and be well received. We're, playing, we're praying for clarity that in Colossians 4, 4, it says that I, I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. We're praying, God, you know, I fumble over my words. I'm rarely as, you know, clear with my words as I'd like. God, give me clarity or use my fumbling for your glory so that they just, they know, they hear the good news and they respond with joy. God, direct my words. And then we're praying for a miracle. We're praying that God open eyes and ears, that God bring from people from death to life. So this isn't a small thing. This is not something you can do on your own. So you got to be praying. you got to be praying for your friends and family members and your neighbors, your coworkers, and the kids at school. Because we're asking for a miracle that God open eyes and that they, that they see their sin for what it is, that how ugly it is and how it brings nothing but death, and that they see the beauty of Jesus and that they receive him with faith. we got to pray. So the first way we share the gospel, we pray. The second word is show, and we show interest. This person you're sharing with isn't a number. This isn't a person that's there just to serve you, and so you can say, hey, I shared with my two, or hey, I shared the gospel with my neighbor. No, they're, they're a person that's made in God's image, and we should love them, and we should show interest in them. And that's going to open doors when we do that. See how Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We're, we're to be gracious to show interest. So um, how are we gracious with outsiders? We shouldn't expect unbelievers to act like Christians. When we go share the gospel, they're going to have sins that they're not ashamed of, that they may brag about and think are good. They may wear shirts that offend you. They may listen to music that you would never listen to. We shouldn't expect them to be regenerated by Jesus to be a new creation when they're not. And so we're gracious with them. And we love them where they're at, but not wanting them to stay where they're at. We're not demeaning. We're not showing our shock. If you're shocked, just hide it the best you can. And maybe you can confess it if you need to. <laughs> but we're going to be gracious with them. You know, they're going to they're have political ideas of what the problem with the world is that's going to be different than your, your opinion because yours comes from the word of God. They're going to have solutions to the problem you don't agree with that are going to be different than the solutions you think are necessary for the world. They're going to have different politics. And that's okay. We shouldn't be surprised by that. We should expect that. If we think the exact same thing about the world, that would be really weird, right? Like, how has the Bible really changed our hearts? So we're going to expect 
to, for them to be different. And we're going to be gracious to them in that. And we're not going to offend them on these extra issues. We're going to offend them with the gospel. That's the offense. And so we're going to be gracious with them, and we're going to be compassionate and tenderhearted. You know, I love how Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus looks out on us, he has compassion. Even when we're not Christians, even when we're in our sin, he has compassion on us. And that's the heart of a Christian, is to have compassion with this person that at times may shock you by their sin, that at times may offend you, but we have compassion on them because they're sheep without a shepherd. We should not be surprised by their actions. And you know what the response, I love the response of uh, Jesus' compassion was he sent out the disciples two by two. And our response to compassion is to share the gospel, is to love them, to seek after them, to help them to find the shepherd. All right, so how else are we doing this? Well, we need to uh, know how to answer each person. So we need to get to know the person we're sharing with. Now, that's not always, I'm not saying always do this. There is a place, and it is good for just open evangelism. I mean, we do that on a Sunday morning. A person shows up. It's not like our, our pastors go and meet the person and tailor the sermon to them. There's a place for just general gospel sharing. But your day-to-day uh, life of sharing the gospel is going to look like you actually getting to know the person and talking with them and figuring out what their needs are so that we can share with each one. So, and then also, we're going to be ourselves. You know, people can tell when you're trying to be some evangelist, when you're trying to phone it in because you maybe feel ill-equipped, but God has made you for this moment of sharing with your friends and families and neighbors. I don't know your family members like you do, and so you have a unique uh, platform to be able to share with them, and so just know that you can be yourself, be who God made you to be in Christ, and share the gospel with them. So we, we pray, we show, and then we steer. We steer the conversation towards spiritual topics. We're intentional, we're wise, we ask questions. So this, uh, these, this idea of steer, we're going to talk through three, three ideas. We're intentional, we're wise, we ask questions. So Colossians 4 again, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. So we're intentional. Uh, we look for open doors and anticipate open doors. So we're praying, God, open the door, help this conversation go our way, or bring people into my path that I can share the gospel with. We're praying towards that, and then we're looking for it. We're, we're, we're vigilant like those watchmen. You know, I think of it as like, you know, I come from like kind of rural Oklahoma where our traffic jams are at the four-way stop when you wave the other person on, and then they wave you on, and it goes back and forth a little bit. And then coming to Albuquerque, I feel like the driving's pretty aggressive, you know. And so when I see a person in the other lane, and I just kind of anticipate they're going to cut me off, aren't they? And so I just kind of watch them. And sometimes I'm wrong, but most of the time I feel like I'm right. And they, you know, they cut me off, but I'm ready, right? I'm ready to hit the brakes really quickly. That's how we are with our evangelism, right? We need to be anticipating open doors and preparing for it. Ready for that conversation to turn that way and go, huh, that person just brought up a spiritual issue they're struggling with. 
Or, or maybe just a physical issue that I can pray for and then ask him, you know, is anyone else praying for you? You know, uh, do you go to church anywhere? Is there, is there, do you have a spiritual community? This is important to God. I'd love to, you know, connect you with believers. You know, looking for any opportunity where we can transition any of those open doors to, to be able to share the good news. You know, when this happens, we don't listen to our feelings. You know, we can listen to the Holy Spirit but we don't listen to our feelings. You know, your heart's going to be pounding. This is going to be hard. I think I almost always feel awkward, you know, uh, but that isn't, that's not a bad thing. You know, I tell grown men I love them, and that's very awkward for me. It's awkward for me to tell that to my father, but I know that's a good thing, and so I do it. You know, sharing the gospel, it's awkward, but it's a, the best thing, and so we do it. It's going to be hard because we're telling a person that they're not good, that their righteousness does not meet God's standards, just like ours. And so it's a hard conversation. But you can imagine a doctor that's going to tell a patient that they're going to die. Starting that conversation surely can never be easy. That's a rough conversation to have. And so we're telling people they're spiritually dead in their trespasses. That's a hard conversation. So we're steering the conversation, but we're knowing that, that our hearts are going to struggle. <laughs> we're, they're gonna be, we're gonna, the heart's going to be pounding. We're going to have questions, but we're going to hold fast to God's word and his promises. You know, this idea of looking for open doors, you know, there's a lot of ways we can share the gospel and seek out open doors. You know, some people go to skate parks and they, uh, they skate and they share the gospel you know, another one that a lot of people overlook is social media. You know, a lot of people just say, oh, I don't do social media uh, because of all the bad stuff that's going on, you know, or how it leads to depression or whatever. That's a great place for gospel witness. You know, uh, this past week, uh, you know, with the, sh- the war in Ukraine, my wife thought of a-, a girl that she had a language class with in Ukraine. And, you know, she had reached out to her a few times before to share the gospel. Sorry, in Germany we had the language class, yeah. Uh, and she had reached out a few times and never went anywhere. But, you know, she, this girl was heavy on her heart and she prayed for her and she just sent her a message on Facebook. Hey, we're praying for you. Love to know how you're doing. Well, it turns out she's in, uh, in, one of the, in the worst area in Ukraine being shelled by Russians. Civilians being killed. And she was sitting it out. And, you know, for about a week or so, she was, uh, my wife was texting with her or messaging her and saying, you know, checking on her, praying for you. And then uh, my wife, through social media, reached out to a missionary in Ukraine and said, hey, I've got a friend in Kharkiv. Uh, would you, um, what should I do? And she sent her a message in Ukrainian, said, copy and paste this, send it to her. She'll reach, and it had, like, phone numbers for missionaries in Ukraine. Long story short, those missionaries get her to Germany. She's now staying with my best friend in Germany who happens to be a Russian-German, and his heart language is Russian, which is what she speaks. You know, this is a social media. You know, no natural. Well, this is, I only share organically. That, I don't know if that's organic, but God used it, so I'm going to leverage it. Whatever God can use, I'm going to leverage for the gospel, and that's what we all want to do, right? And I, isn't that lovely? We want, to, we want to use everything we can to find open doors to share the gospel. So we pray, we show, we steer, we're, and then we're, how are we steering? We're being intentional, and then we're being wise. 
Wisdom is the use of knowledge for worthy goals. Wisdom aims at winning outsiders. Uh, Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. You know, if you're wise, you're going to prioritize what's important. You're going to use your skills for what's most important. And what is most important to a Christian is that we know God and that we have people who are saved from death and brought into life. You know, the, the wise person is pro- using whatever skills they have for this purpose. You know, you can have an unwise Christian who has the same knowledge and talents and skills as the wise Christian, but the unwise person is not prioritizing those skills and the use of their knowledge for what's most important. And so we must be wise, and we must use everything God's given us, every relationship, every, oh, I think I know that person, I'll, I'll reach out to him for God's kingdom. Whatever we can use, we're leveraging for the kingdom. You know, and, and wisdom involves um, the use of apologetics. That's a fancy word for basically the defense of the faith. But we're not, we don't teach that we should use that as like our bread and butter main thing, you know, these high and lofty arguments. Uh, there's a couple reasons for that. You know, uh, a, for example, if a person denies God's existence, we actually believe by Romans 1 that they really in their heart of hearts believe that God exists. And, that they're in, and then why would I even correct them in their foolishness if the Bible talks a lot about you know, them being fools for not believing and then uh, it being not the best idea to correct a fool? So what we more want to encourage you to do is just give them scripture and let them wrestle with that because they know they know that God exists they know that God is their judge and so we're going to let the word of God do its work because God has a promise for him to make our you know intellectual arguments not return void but he has promised that he would do that for his word Uh, but we can use apologetics and defenses to kind of remove branches out of the road so they can drive on by and they can keep they can keep working down this road of faith. You know, if something comes up and they're like, I don't, you know, I don't know if we can know anything. You know, and you can deal with that argument of, you know, what, it, what does it look like to know truth? How can we be certain? You can deal with that when it comes up. But, but you know, I, my biggest regrets in evangelism is when I got caught up on apologetics. And we've had a friend that spent hundreds of hours in our house. And where there are too many hours were devoted to intellectual arguments and not just sharing the the word of God. And so we want to use apologetics wisely. And the wise man also knows when to walk away. Matthew 10, 14, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave the house or town. Now this is prescriptive about a certain time when the disciples were going out for the purpose of hardening Israel. But the principle stands that we can prioritize our time. And when you want to share the gospel, for example, with one of your two, 22, and they say, don't share the gospel with me. I want want you to continue to pray for that person, but I want you to reprioritize your gospel evangelistic time with other people. Does that make sense? So we, we have this category of just trying to decide where, you know, what's the best use of my time to be a wise person. And so we're never fully giving up on a person until they're dead, but we can shift their, our priorities and say, all right, I'm going to go after someone that's more receptive. So to review, uh, steering conversations mean being intentional, being wise, and then thirdly, we ask questions. We ask questions. We don't just tell, 
We can ask good questions. Why? Because Jesus did. That's a case settled. Uh, Jesus did it. We can do it. I like uh, in Matthew 9, the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as a bridegroom is with them? The days come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. I just love how the question uh, not only enlightens, but Jesus does it to, kind of, to redirect energy, uh, to redirect like heat coming from a question. It teaches so much more when we have to stop and go, huh, I actually don't know the answer to that question. It, it just totally shifts the conversation. So why do we do it? It takes the attention off of you and puts it on God. When you have these theological debates, the, who, who's the attention on? It's on you and the other guy and who's going to win, right? We want to shift that to putting it on God and asking good theological questions. Well, who do you say God is? What do you say about Romans 1 and how everybody knows about God? And so we're shifting it and making them deal with Scripture and making them deal with their relationship with God. So we're asking good questions. It also shines light on their theological holes. You know, it's really, I think most of the people we're going to encounter when we share the gospel just don't have a worked out theology. Now, we would believe that ultimately every non-Christian theology is just going to have holes in it because it's just not going to answer questions that are the most important questions. Like, uh, is God going to judge us? And if so, how are we going to avoid that judgment? And those questions, there's always holes in it. But but these people we share with are more than likely going to have very few or very little uh, foundation to their theology. And asking good questions is going to reveal that to them because they don't know it. And until they're asked to say, you know, what is God like? They're not, they're not going to think about that. That's, that's going to that's take them back and they're going to realize they, they don't really have a good answer for that. And so it, it, it reveals holes and then... It gives them the feeling that they have been heard. You know, we want to know that we've been loved. And, and one of the ways we do that is just being listened to. Now, we're not going to affirm what they say if it's false. You know, if they start describing God and it's like, that's really crazy. You know, you're, gonna, you're not going to affirm that and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, try to avoid that word. But you could say, I hear you. <laughs> you know, find other ways of making it known. I am listening to you. I love you. You're valuable. You're made in the image of God. And then you can get to how you don't agree with them later. But you want to listen to them. And, and we can do that because we have a peace with God. Because as Chase talked about and made clear, God is sovereign. And we don't have to rush this. We don't have to force this. We believe in a God who is doing the work. And we're just allowed to be a part of it. It also helps to clarify unstated assumptions. You know, if we share the gospel and we start talking about God, and it turns out their God sounds a lot like their mean father, you know, that needs to be cleared up. We can't assume that we have a shared idea of God, that we have a shared idea of sin, that we have a shared idea of who Jesus is. We actually have to clarify things, and questions is a great way to do that. You know, I was... Uh, driving a, so, so we get benevolence calls, and I just decided to, this person needed to go to their um, work, and I had a conference call, so I'm like, I'll do both. I'll do the conference call and drive you to work. And the conference call got off, and I was talking to her, and she was saying, 
you know, we were having a, trying to get to the gospel. And I, and I felt bad at the end of the ride because I was like, gosh, I never got to the gospel. But I realized this person was a Rastafarian, so her even view of Jesus was so far off to even say Jesus died for your sins would have been confusing to her. That, was, that needed a long conversation with more questions. So sometimes uh, it just takes more time because we don't have that shared worldview. We don't have a shared understanding of these big topics. So we ask good questions because we want to get clarity. And then at minimum, we want to put pebbles in shoes. You know, a good question can be like a pebble in a shoe on a long journey. It drives you crazy because you don't have a good answer. Once you realize, oh, wait, I didn't believe in hell, but I got to believe that, you know, like a guy like Hitler's in hell. What do I do with that? And it, that, that, that'll just keep spinning in their mind. And it, every now and then they'll come up and it just bothers them. And they got to find a solution. And, and the gospel's the solution. So we want to put good questions. We'll just put pebbles in their shoes so they have to think about it. And it's just gonna, it's gonna be a process and we can be a part of that just with really good questions. All right, so we pray, we, we show interest, we steer the conversation towards spiritual topics, and then we share the gospel. Second Corinthians 5.20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we're ambassadors. Ambassadors aren't the king. If you don't know what an ambassador is, it's someone the king sends out to another nation for maybe like trade negotiations. Uh, You know, like right now with the war in Ukraine, you know, the uh, Ukrainian ambassador is going to be talking to Russian officials trying to negotiate peace. You know, and an ambassador doesn't create the message. The ambassador relays the message. So when our president, President Biden, sends his ambassador, he's got a message. You know, uh, we want peace. These are our terms. And the ambassador can't change that and be like, uh, we want war and no terms. You know, like you can't do that as the ambassador. You'll be fired and never seen from again. Uh, the ambassador just relays the message. Now, the ambassador can, can decide where to take them out to eat. Like think about, oh, you know, their favorite restaurant is this place, you know. Oh, Russians really love this. I'll do that for them. So when I tell them the good news, maybe they want to hear it instead of not want to hear it. The ambassador can do a lot, but they can't ultimately change the message. So we are just relaying the message of God. And we can choose where we do that. We can choose the restaurant or where to have them in the living room or the kitchen, where to do it. And and maybe uh, how to transition to it. But ultimately, we're just relaying a message. And it's the message of the gospel And as ambassadors, I want to say, you can actually ask permission to share, and that's a great transition if you feel awkward about it. A way you can kind of take some energy out of the room is to say, hey, is it okay if I share the gospel with you? Can I share with you the hope that I have and that what allows me to sleep at night? What gives me joy? Why I go to church and why I can sing with joy? Can I share that with you? That's totally okay. If they say no, okay, all right. Well, you, you did your part, and you can celebrate that you were faithful, and, and they said no. Or, or you, they say yes, and you get to share, and, and they ask for it. <laughs> so in Colossians 4.3, uh, you know, Paul says, At the same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. We are declaring, we're sharing 
words. You know, it's not, mowing your lawn is not sharing the gospel. Or sorry, mowing your neighbor's lawn is not sharing the gospel. It holds up the gospel. It shows you're different and that your priority isn't just yourself, but it's not sharing the gospel. You have to use words. You have to declare the mysteries of Christ. You have to share the gospel with words. So what now is the gospel? All right, my four words. You know, I asked recently some pastors in Achi land, you know, what is the gospel? And after a, quite a bit of silence, one, uh, and we wanted to do it in 60 seconds or less, and one of the pastors stood up and said, Jesus. And that's right, but the, that assumes a lot. <laughs> you know, we can do a little better in explaining that to our unbelieving friends, because when I say Jesus to the Rastafarian, they have a whole other idea of what that means. So we got to explain what scripture says. Who is Jesus? What did he do that makes it good news? Did he win, you know, the Super Bowl? Did he eat the 72-ounce steak at the Big Texan? No, he did something very specific. And if we're not specific on that, then it's not good news, right? So what, did he, so what is the gospel? So the gospel, we have our four words, and that's on your card. So I have questions on the, um, the, back, the front of your card that are kind of like examples of some questions you can ask people. You don't have to ask those. Um, you can come up with your own, but this is kind of hitting at these theological topics that we're going to talk in our four words. So then on the back, we have our four words, God, man, Christ, response. So we share that God is the creator of all things, that he is totally good, and that he made all things good. He said, you are good when he made you. When he made man and woman, he said, that we are good. That he is worthy of all our praise because he has made all things and he has owed all things. And then the second word is man, but, you know, as good as God is, we're the opposite. We have all fallen. We've all sinned. We all do things that bring about death. We hurt people. We hurt ourselves. We don't honor God with our words, with our actions. That though God is worthy of all praise and all honor and all our service, we don't do that. None of us. Not a single one. We all fall short of God's glory and we all deserve death. And we have Romans 3.23 on there, for the wages of sin is death. Um, um, that's not what that is. Sorry, my brain. <laughs> uh, so then uh, we have Christ. Uh, the third word is Christ. Christ was perfect. He lived the life we should all live. Though you don't honor your mother and father the way you should, Christ did. Though you don't handle temptation well and you can't go when, you know, when lunch is an hour late and you're throwing a fit, Jesus went 40 days without food. He did all that. He filled up all the righteous tank that he could uh, show the Father, and he gives that to any who will trust in him. He was totally righteous. He lived the life we should all live, and he died the death we all deserve. He died in our place. He died in our place. So we have First uh, Peter 3.18 right there. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So Jesus died in our place. And our fourth word is a response. We need to call people to believe. You know, I've, I've shared the gospel where I've not really made any statements. There's been no preaching. I've just asked questions with the Bible open. But this is the part we make a statement. We say something. We call someone to believe something. We, you know, I like Peter in uh, 
In Acts 2, he says, or it says, he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this crooked generation. We plead. We call people to believe. There is a point in sharing the gospel where it is okay and it is good and it is blessed of God for you to say, believe, trust in God, receive this. We can do that. It's okay. And when we do that, we're going to make mistakes and that's okay and God's sovereign in that and he's going to use us. So we're going to actually practice this um, with a partner you know, if you're in groups of three, you can do three, but um, I want to now take some time to practice this because next Saturday, we're going to go out and we're going to be handing out these magnets. So I, again, I feel awkward when I share the gospel. So for me, it's always easier to start with something easy, to start with some transition point. So we're going to hand out these magnets to just like talk about our church time. Uh, it has our phone number, our website, and we're going to hand these out and we're going to be like, hey, we're, you know, Desert Springs Church. Uh, you know, if you're ever looking for a church, we'd love to have you. And then, and then, you know, they receive that. They can shut the door. That's great. They know we're here. They know we love our community, and they will know where to go when they're looking for a church. But then we can continue this, and we can say, you know, what's your spiritual background? So, you know, we haven't even gone personal yet, and they're talking about their parents and grandparents. You know, oh, well, my, you know, my parents were Catholic, you know, and then, um, oh, really? Uh, so um, what do you believe about God? What, what is God like? And then now we're having a spiritual conversation. And then we can, you know, ask questions. Oh, okay, well, what's the problem with the world? What do you believe? You know, all religions try to answer that basic question. What's the problem with the world and what's the solution? What do you believe? And we haven't, we haven't preached at them. We haven't acted like we're better than them. We're just, we're journeying them, with them on their path to understanding. And then, and they can get off at any time and you put pebbles in the shoe and we can celebrate. You see how there's just celebration all around. There's victory all around. Victory in handing this over. Victory in just knocking and no one being there. And there's victory in handing this. There's victory in asking a question. And there's, there's victory in sharing the gospel and then receiving it, obviously. And then we can ask these questions and we just transition. Hey, can I share with you uh, the good news, the gospel that, that all Christians put their hope in? I've got these four words. You can look at the card with me. And these verses describe these four words and how it is the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's, uh, let's spend about, um, I don't know, we'll fill this out. Like, let's say eight minutes. And we're just going to share, and, and we'll take turns sharing the gospel. So priority, at least make sure you do this. But if you want to do some spiritual, try some spiritual questions and just see how they respond. Uh, and, you know, and when you don't know what to say back to them, just ask another question. Oh, okay. And ask a question about their statement. So uh, let's practice that. Thank you, guys. This is good news, isn't it? Isn't it great to share good news? These are, these are truths that give us hope and that we sing every Sunday, right? So you can share this and practice this with your, with your brothers and sisters all the time. This is a good thing for you to do in your community groups, just to practice. Hey, you want to practice sharing the gospel? Like, this is the best story ever. Of course we want to talk about it, right? And when we don't, just pray and ask God, God, I'm, I'm struggling. And, and sing it until you're, you're prepared to, again, share it. So, um, yeah, be practicing this. This is going to take, you know, if you've never shared the gospel, it's just going to take some practice, and that's okay. You know, I'm reminded of Paul's encouragement to Timothy to practice the gifts that God has given him. We want to practice these. 
this gift of evangelism uh, with our, our believing friends and then with unbelievers. And, it, and it'll, it'll get easier with time. So keep practicing this. Um, yeah, let me, let me pray for us, and then we're going to have a five-minute break. Uh, be sure to write down any questions you may have for the Q&A. Uh, yeah, let's pray. God, we, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here. I thank you for how you put us in a family and how uh, we all have a, a shared uh, story in you, and we all have the greatest delight in you. Uh, Lord, we thank you just for the edification uh, that we have in this body, Lord. Help us just to encourage one another and just keep practicing sharing the gospel with each other and encouraging each other with the gospel. And then help us just to go out and, and, and share and to show our neighbor's love by giving them the, uh, the, the best gift we can give them, which is a relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Have your five-minute break. <laughs> go ahead and... Open up your Bibles to John chapter 4 with me, please. My name is Daniel Beta. I'm a member here at Desert Springs Church, and I'm also a high school Spanish teacher at Hope Christian School, and I'm excited to talk with you about boldness in evangelism today. Speaking of boldness, I need it, so let's turn to John chapter 4. Verses 31 to 36, we'll open up in prayer here. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and reaper, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. Let's pray. Father, you are a big God, and you are able to save, and you're able to save to the uttermost. We confess, Father, that we need salvation from the wrath of God, from death, from sin, from Satan, from hell, from ourselves, from eternal separation from you. And we thank you that in Jesus Christ, there is salvation. We thank you for the promises of your word, and we ask Father, we, we confess our eyes are down. Our eyes are distracted. We're not looking up. We're not looking at the harvest around us like we should. So we ask, Father, would you lift up our eyes and open them to see that the harvest is ripe? And would you send us into the harvest that we may rejoice together, sower and reaper? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and preview this handout. So the first couple of pages are taken from, uh, I got these from my professor, uh, Dr. Timothy Booker, and he, he taught a course on evangelism that I, I learned a lot from, and I thought these were really helpful for me, so I wanted to provide them as a tool for you, a prayer tool. And I, I love how Josiah talked about 
our prayer, our evangelism needs to be soaked in prayer before, during, and after. And I think this is a tool to help us with our prayer, praying for the lost. So there's a family tree evangelism and there's a legend there. You can mark people in your family who are saved or you're unsure or you know they're not saved. Feel free to write their names in and and mark it up. Then there's a space for your close friends. Write those names down. And you can, um, ideally, close friends who are unbelievers, but you could also write if you're unsure. Page two, wherever you live, your neighborhood might not look like this, but work with it and write down the names of your neighbors. And again, mark it up with a cross if you know they're saved, a question mark if you're unsure, a little black diamond if they're not. And, um, and use that as a resource for praying. And if you're not sure who your neighbors, what their names are, if you haven't met some of them, then I would, I would use this as a tool to start getting to know them and a goal that you could fill this out by the end of the month, by the end of the quarter, but before Easter, let's say. How is that for a concrete goal? And then down there's business associates. You might not work at a desk, but wherever you work, go ahead and write out names of coworkers, classmates, people that you work with. Let's go to page three. I love this list. This one's great. So Josiah talked about being watchful in our prayer. And I think this list, the acquaintances list, really helps with that. So, for example, and you can be filling this out as I'm talking about it. We have cleaners, barbers. I'm going to, last night I went to get a haircut, and my hairstylist, it was the first time I met her, I went to Great Clips, and I, um, one of the things that Josiah had mentioned was ask questions, get to know them. And so, that's what I did. I, I, and then... When I got home before going to bed, this is my prayer journal. I just wrote in some of the things that I learned about my waitress and I could be praying for her. So, hairstylist at Great Clips, Wyoming and Academy, three years experience. Her sister is 16 years old. Her name's Alyssa. She has autism. She's like an eight-year-old. She goes to La Cueva High School. Her mom's name is Yolanda. She's an immigrant from Juarez. She was abused as a child. She's now 49, celebrating her birthday tomorrow. She has a cat named Luna. Her dog died last year, and she lives with her boyfriend. And all that just from one conversation of getting a haircut. That's the, that's the beauty about asking questions, just getting to know them. And so now I know how to pray for her. And if I go back to Great Clips, maybe Deandra will cut my hair again, maybe it'll be somebody else. But just frequenting these different places on your acquaintance list, librarians, mail carrier, banker, and many more. And then writing their names out and starting to pray for them. It starts with prayer. Let's go to page four. Page four has an outline of our time today as we talk about boldness. So you're welcome to fill in the blanks and take notes on this page. And then pages five through nine are just some of the passages that we'll be looking at this morning in scripture. They're in order from Genesis to Revelation. So we've previewed the handout. Now it's time for a little warm-up. I'm going to give you guys five minutes to fill out the first few pages. You're welcome to do it in silence. You're welcome to um, talk with people next to you, but I'm going to set my timer for five minutes. And then at the end of five minutes, I'll come back up and we'll continue. Okay, let's pray. I'm going to pray from Mark chapter 6, verse 34. So please open up your Bibles to Mark 
chapter 6, verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Father, I thank you so much for all the names that have been written down this morning. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And Father, apart from Christ, They're walking down a road that will lead them to physical death and spiritual, um, eternal separation from you in hell. But there's good news, Father. Christ has made a way for them to be reconciled to you. And so, Father, we just pray that uh, you would give us compassion for our lost neighbors, acquaintances, business associates, family members, and that we would Point them to the good shepherd. Give us boldness to teach many things about Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what is boldness? I have a secular definition for you. That's not the one I'll be using. But Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines boldness as fearless before danger. Showing a fearless, daring spirit. So when the Apostle Paul asked the Ephesians to pray for him to have boldness in proclaiming the gospel to others, he has real dangers in mind, right? What were some of those dangers that Paul faced? Shout them out. Imprisonment. Flogging. Stoning. What was that last one? A shipwreck. I forgot about that one. Yes, lots of danger. If there were dangers that our master faced in sharing the gospel, and if there were dangers that the apostle Paul faced, then there are also dangers that we, as disciples, will face. Maybe it's losing popularity. I experienced that a lot in high school. A friend, losing a friend, I experienced that recently. For some, like our brothers and sisters in Morocco, it might mean losing a job, losing their family, even losing their life. With such dangers surrounding surrounding following Christ and sharing the gospel, it's logical to ask the question, my brother-in-law asked this question, he's not a Christian, but he asked this question of missionaries, shouldn't the danger deter us from sharing the gospel? Why would you go to that country and share the gospel if they'll just kill you? Look at Christ. Did the danger of the cross deter him from sharing the gospel? No, absolutely not. Turn to Luke 9, 51, page 7 of your handout. At the top, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And we all know he was going to die. He was set his face to the cross. He had been talking about it over and over, warning warning his disciples, I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to have to die, and I'll be raised on the third day. This demonstrates his boldness to be the suffering servant. 
how could Jesus so boldly face death on a cross like that? I want that boldness. Because he loves us. Remember, 1 John 4.18 reminds us that perfect love casts out fear. Jesus' love for the lost cast out the fearful emotions he felt in his humanity. There was a human. He is both human and God. The God-man. He felt those emotions. When Jesus sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, his love for the Father drew him to pray for greater obedience. We know he was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. So his boldness led him to preach a bold message and also to bold obedience, even to the point of death. We too, that's what we're called to do, right? We must deny ourselves, deny our fears, our demand for entertainment instead of evangelism. I struggle with that one. I've been busy, I just need some Netflix. Deny myself, pick up our cross, that is, put to death our excuses. We have so many excuses that prevent us from sharing the gospel. We're called to not just deny ourselves, um, but to pick up our cross, and, and the cross is a metaphor of death, right? Put those excuses to death and follow Christ. Every step in this process takes boldness, right? Admitting that we have excuses and fears and worries, and then putting them to death by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then following Christ to share the gospel. Every point takes boldness. But before we focus on what boldness is according to Scripture, let's take a quick look at what boldness is not. So this, if you're following along your outline, page four, boldness is not brashness, and boldness is not brazenness. Boldness is not brashness. To be brash is to do things without considering the consequences, to do things in our own strength. The Bible calls it foolishness. One example of this false boldness is in Numbers chapter 14, verses 42 through 45. The context of this passage is this. Moses sent spies into the land of Canaan. Upon return, the spies report that even though the land is good, there are giants they cannot face. In boldness, two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, tell the people that God will be with them and grant success. In fear, the rest of the spies convince the people of Israel that the mission, it's impossible. God is angered by their unbelief. If you remember how God responded, he caused those spies who were cowards to die of a plague. And he promised the people of Israel who believed them that they would not enter the land of Canaan, but rather die in the wilderness. Now when the people heard this, They mourned and decided to go attack Canaan without God. Here's how Moses responded. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 14. It's on page 5 of your handout. The bottom of page 5. Numbers 14, verses 42 through 45. Moses tells them, Do not go up, for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down before your enemies. For there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword. Because you have, why? Because you have turned back from following the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country. Although neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them even to Hormah. 
So these actions on the part of Israel are very brash, very foolish. It is not true boldness. It is a false boldness. It is a Merriam-Webster boldness. A daring spirit moved by a deceiving spirit. It is predicated on human willpower instead of God's power. In other words, it is sin. Their minds ignored the word of God, their hearts neglected the presence of God, and their actions disobeyed the warnings of Moses, the man of God. This is not biblical boldness. So what is boldness according to Scripture? Here's my working definition of boldness. Boldness is an expression of trust in God's character and promises made visible by obedience to his word and made audible by words that acknowledge him. And it has a result leading to the exaltation of his name. So on page four of your handout, boldness is trust in the character and promises of God. And then letter B, 3B, is obeying God. 3C is acknowledging God. And 3D is exalting Jesus Christ. Let's look at some examples of this type of biblical boldness. Look at Abraham. We've been studying Genesis recently, so let's look at Abraham. He expressed bold trust in God's character. Let's go to Genesis 18, page 5 of your handout. Genesis 18, 23 to 25. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? So the context is he's bargaining boldly with God to save Sodom, to save the righteous people in Sodom. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you, he's talking about God's character, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked, far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? So he is trusting in the character of God of being just, being fair, also being merciful, I would say. So that's one example of this boldness being an an expression of trust in the character of God. Of God. Now let's look at an example of boldness being an expression of trust in God's promises. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. Same page. This is Moses demonstrating bold trust in God's promises. Exodus 32 verses 12 through 14. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? This is Moses talking to God. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring. Here's the promise. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So we see an expression of old trust in the promises of God. So we've looked at expressions of trust in the character and promises of God. Now let's look at boldness made visible to others. 
through both words and actions. Turn with me to the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. Page 6 of your handout. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego events show evidence of boldness by their obedience. This one's hard, but I think this goes to show that a, a lot of times there's opportunities for evangelism just by being obedient to God, and that's encouraging. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you on this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I mentioned earlier that I recently lost a good friend. I I still want to be friends. This is actually my wife's best friend. And we've been friends. They went to high school together. So we've been friends for years. And she, she's not a Christian. She's bisexual. And she recently left her husband for another woman. And we gently and with compassion but urgency pleaded with her to repent. And to return to her husband and, and to, to reconcile. And she said no. And um, so anyway, she's dating this woman and, and then decides, you know what, I, I want to get married. And she invites my wife to be the maid of honor. They're best friends. And so we're like, what do we do? What do we do? And so we're talking with pastors and elders in our community group and our, my parents and we're praying and we're like, what do we do? And, and finally we, we talked to her and, and said, you know what, we love you. Uh, but scripture is clear that, that this is not a marriage. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And not only that, but you're, you're asking us to celebrate what the Bible calls sin. And we can't celebrate that. That would be idolatry. That would be to worship an idol. And similar to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we had to say, I'm, I'm sorry, but we can't participate in this. And that was really hard. It was really hard. But... And we didn't know, like, what the results would be. We, we knew it was going to hurt, be hurtful for her. But we also knew it was truth from Scripture, a pebble in the shoe. Um, but our Muslim friends, who are also really good friends with her, <laughs> I'm running out of time. <laughs> but our Muslim friends, who are also friends with her, um, said they, they wanted to get together for dinner, maybe about a month later. And so we, get, we have them over to our house for dinner. We're talking, and they bring it up. They're like, why? Why, why did you do that? And so we, we explain to them why. And then they ask more questions. Well, what is sin? So, that, so we start talking about sin. And then they ask more questions. Well, um, they ask, we, we talked about the resurrection. We talked about how. We talked about eternal life. We talked about works versus grace. They had so many questions. We've talked to them about the gospel a lot, but my... my my point is, the, the tough, bold obedience that we felt the Holy Spirit leading us to led to a gospel door to share the opportunity, to share the gospel with our Muslim friends. And we see that happening all throughout the Bible. Obedience leads to open doors to share the gospel. Since I'm running short on time, we, we, there's, there's examples all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament of this boldness, boldness, 
uh, leading to open doors. If you think about the story of Joseph, he repeatedly says, it's not I that interpret dreams, it's God. It's not me that's interpreting these dreams to you, it's God. He's constantly acknowledging the name of God, and eventually, King Pharaoh um, also exalts the name of the Lord, of Joseph's God. So that's another um, effect of boldness, is obedience leads to open doors, um, Acknowledging the name of God leads to open doors to people around us. So we see this pattern. So we see this pattern. Abraham trusted in God's character to be just and merciful. Moses trusted in God's promises to his people. This trust was expressed verbally by Daniel and Joseph, and this trust was made visible with bold obedience by many saints, such as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This same pattern that we scanned in the Old Testament also happens in the New Testament all over the place. And it applies to our lives today. If you, have, if you have set apart the Lord as holy in your life to obey Jesus as your Lord and to acknowledge Jesus as your Savior, as your Savior to others, then the result will be a biblical boldness that leads to the worship of God. We do not need a Merriam-Webster boldness that is Merely human mustard daring spirit in the face of danger. No, that is a human boldness with no sure and no divine foundation. The foundation of our boldness as Christians is the character and promises of God. Our boldness must be an expression of trust in God's character and God's promises. And it needs to be made visible. Made visible how? By obedience to his word and made audible by our words that acknowledge him, leading to the exaltation of his name. So in conclusion, I'd like to leave you with some, uh, a bold list of promises and, and a bold list to pray through. On page four of your handout, you have some space to write some of these down. Bold promises to bank on. Chase shared a lot of them when he talked about this big God theology. Uh, one of them is the harvest is ripe. We opened up in prayer with that. John 4.35, the harvest is ripe. That's number one. That's a promise. The fruit is there. Number two, Jesus has all authority. Matthew 28.18. John Piper has an amazing sermon on the Great Commission where he talks about how this is your passport, your passport to all the nations around the world. So go ahead and hold up your passport for me. Use your imagination. Everybody hold up your passport. Say, I have authority from the King of Kings, Lord of all the nations of the earth, to go and proclaim the gospel and make disciples of all people groups, teaching them. To obey Jesus Christ. And get baptized. And join a local church. All right, all right, all right, good. That's good. That's good. So, so you have your passport, all right? So wherever you go, if people are like, you can't share this. No, actually, I have a passport from Jesus. All right, number three. And Jesus is with you. He promises that in Matthew 28, 20, the end of the Great Commission. I'm with you always. That's a promise. Jesus is with you. Number four. Jesus will be praised. Jesus will be praised. 
So whether they reject your message or not, we know that he will be praised. And that's from Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Number five, the Holy Spirit empowers you. The Holy Spirit empowers you. That's from Acts 1.8. The Holy Spirit empowers you to be a witness. Number six, you shall be a blessing. Genesis 12.2. You shall be a blessing. Genesis 12.2. I often say that to my son Danny when I kiss him as I drop him off for kindergarten every morning. I tell him in Spanish, serás una bendición, mijo. You shall be a blessing. A blessing to all the families of the earth. Number seven, God will make his appeal through you. God will make his appeal through you. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. God will make his appeal through you. And number eight, I meant to put seven because that's my favorite number. Here we go, seven plus one. Number eight, God will listen to you. God will listen to you. So we saw how God listened to Abraham, had mercy. God listened to Moses and had mercy. God will listen to us. We're a kingdom of priests too. God will listen to us. So that's Revelation 1, 1 through 7. 1 Peter 2, 9. I think Chase talked about that of us being living stones, royal priesthood. And then finally, John 14, 14. If you ask anything in my name, it will be done for you. And of course, I think this is within God's will, right? That we ask for people to be saved, for God to have mercy. Pretty sure that's a, something God would like to answer. All right, so, so now it's time to break up into groups. We'll take five minutes to pray. I'll set the timer for five minutes. You all have your warm-up, right? So what we're going to do is just pray through this list of people in groups of four or five. So I, I, I want you to meet with people around you, get to know people, and, and this is going to be helpful because you'll, you'll know how to pray for them as well. Afterward, I'll come up and close this in prayer. As you pray, you're welcome to refer to the list on page four of your handout under point five. It just takes you through that acts of adoring, confessing, interceding, and thanking God. Um, Oh, I have it backwards. (laughs) It's all right. Adoring, confessing, petition, and and thanking God. So um, I left some blanks under confession. If there are any other walls to witnessing that you might need to confess to the Lord, praise God that we can confess our sins to God and to each other and pray for one another, as James 5.16 reminds us. So that we can be healed. Do you want to be healed of your fears? I do. And we can be strengthened for boldness and evangelism. So pray for each other. All right, here we go, five minutes. Okay, let's go ahead and close in prayer together. Please turn to Matthew 28. We'll pray the Great Commission together. Matthew Chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all 
that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father, we, we thank you. Um, we, we adore our risen and exalted King Jesus Christ, who has authority, all authority in heaven and earth. And we, we confess that we are weak and we need the help of your Holy Spirit. Father, we, we need boldness that comes from you. Boldness to trust in you. Boldness to trust in your character and your promises. Boldness to acknowledge your name verbally around those, around people, two people around us. Boldness to obey, even when it's hard. And uh, we pray that you give us opportunities to make disciples of all nations. To teach people all that you've commanded. We know that your commandments are not burdensome. We know that they teach us to love you and love others. And we thank you for your promise that you are with us as we do this, even to the end of the age. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, we are going to take another quick break. And while you guys are having that break, we're going to get set up for a Q&A. So if you don't need to wiggle, wiggle around, get the wiggles out, you don't need to go to the bathroom, um, go ahead and think through some good questions. Um, I realized as I said that, that I used my toddler language of get wiggles out and I did correct myself and not say potty. Um, so, um, take some time now, uh, stretch your legs, go to the bathroom, come back in here. We'll be back in, let's do three to five minutes. Let's do a little bit shorter of a break so we can get the most time for Q and A. So thanks guys. <clears throat> All right, guys, if you... If you guys would come and find your seats, we're going to get started. <clears throat> to begin, let me give you guys a little bit of kind of instructions of how we're going to do this. We don't have microphones around the room. Um, so the best way that we're going to do this is just, if you've got a question, go ahead and put your hand up. Um, I'll, do, I'll kind of moderate this. I'll call on you. Uh, you're welcome to stand up. If you don't stand up, just do make sure to do this. Use a loud voice as loud as you can um, to ask your question. I'll kind of summarize and repeat it back. And then I'll direct it to one of these guys or just all three of them to spend some time answering it. So um, I'm going to get us started just by asking a question and then hopefully that'll get the wheels turning and you guys can, um, can go in after that. So um, yeah, to you guys. Um, Josiah, on your little handout you gave us, there's four Bible verses. I'm curious, are there other Bible verses that you guys just have in your back pocket as you're sharing the gospel with people that you've find yourself saying often that would be helpful for us to memorize, think about? Yeah, uh, I'm thinking, I mean, obviously John 3.16, uh, Romans 6.23, which I started to quote earlier instead of Romans 3.23. That's obviously... I get them confused too. <laughs> They're very close. Uh, gosh, uh, is it... Now I'm a Bible quiz. Is it First Corinthians 6.2 that talks about uh, now is the day of salvation? You know, I, I like to... Mm. That's kind of something I like to go to at the end of a gospel sharing. Do you guys have any others? Yeah, I, I, I like 623 because in Ryan talks about gospel nuggets, so just a verse that has everything that you need to know to be saved. And 623 has the wages of sin and the free gift of God in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so you can mm -hmm. work through from one verse uh, that way. Um, what is it? It's in uh, Hebrews 10. It's appointed for man to die once, and then after that comes judgment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so to use that to really get there quickly. 
Um, yeah. I'm, well, since you mentioned in your pocket, <laughs> oh, I got some right That's here. So great. So That's these, so great. I call these my vitamins, <laughs> and this is from the the navigators use this. It's called the topical memory system. And series B, they have A through E. Series B is all about proclaiming Christ, and so it takes you through um, different categories. All have sinned. It gives you two verses for that, and it also has you illustrate. You know. One side separated from God, hell and death down here when you fall off the cliff. And then the other side is you're trying to get to God, but you can't, right? And then there's the cross where you draw it as the bridge. And so then you draw that as you're explaining this. So then there's uh, sin's penalty. has a couple verses on that. We've already mentioned those. And then here comes the cross. Christ paid the penalty. has a couple verses on that. Romans 5a and 1 Peter 3.18, which we already talked about earlier today. And then just to make sure, right, that people aren't trusting in themselves, there's a couple of verses on salvation, not by works. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, and Titus 3, 5. Mm-hmm. And then getting to the God, man, Christ response part. This is the response part. Must receive Christ. So it has a couple of verses on that. John 1, 12, mm-hmm. and Revelation 3, 20. But there are many um, on talking about repentance and faith, right? Where'd you get these? Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. I went to a biblical counseling with Scott Minema a few years ago, me and my wife. We're, we're always going through new seasons of life, so you always need biblical counseling, right? So that's a plug. If you have something, an issue, go to biblical counseling. It's awesome. And one of the things was like, hey, we don't always have time to read scripture together, but we'd like to do something together. And he suggested that we memorize scripture together, mm-hmm. me and my wife. And we're like, okay, well, where do we start? And he's like, well, have you heard of the topical memory system? You just Google it. Topical memory system, and you can buy it. Um, and so then the last part is assurance of salvation. And this would be like, I would just make sure that they really know, you know, that they're saved, that they really do believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Assurance of salvation, 1 John 5.13 and John 5.24. So those are... Um, literally in your pocket. Literally in my wow, pocket. Great. Yeah. So when do, you, when do you work on those? So it took me about... Um, I think if you follow the schedule, you can get through it in a few months, but it took me a couple of years to memorize all of them. But now I'm just doing review. So every week I'll do a different series. So like last week was series E on growth in Christ-likeness, and then series A, and then this week, series B. And so next week I'll go to series C, and they just have different topics. Anybody uh, super convicted by that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, two Wednesdays ago you talked about that, and I thought, oh, I need to get that, and then you brought it up again. Like, oh, I mean, so you're still convicted. I yeah. still am convicted, okay. but I have an act- now I'm an actor. I'm a broken record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jordan, I see your hands. Twenty seconds is pretty fast. Um, yeah, just and to repeat the question. So when we're going out and doing evangelism, going door to door, specifically next Sunday, um, 
yeah, what, is, what do the first 20 seconds look like? How are we, uh, how's it going to go? So here's some tips that I would always give people, and, we, and I've done a lot of door-to-door -door evangelism. Um, so like on a really practical level, knock on the door and then step back mm -hmm. several feet from the door so that uh, you're not like intimidating or really awkward, you know, but just kind of step back and smile. And I have to tell everybody that because you're going to be so nervous. And, and when you get nervous, my nervous face looks like I'm very angry. And so I'll sit there and, you know, and so it's like, who's this person standing two inches from my door angry at me? What did I do? You know, so step back, smile, and just say hello. And there's going to be, uh, we'll, we'll go, you're not going to be by yourself. You'll be with somebody else and just say, hello, big smile. We're just from this church down the street, we want you to know that we're your neighborhood church. I don't know if you have a church, but we're here for you, and we're just passing out information about our church in case you need us, you need a place to belong. And so we're just coming, and we're and because that is one of the reasons that we're going out is we just want to be nice. We want to be nice to our neighbors. You know, wouldn't you do this? You move into a new neighborhood, and th this happened to us. Somebody when we moved in brought us one of those. What are the chili things? They're just the. Whatever. They brought us that. <laughs> and she was really nice. Like, hey, you're my new neighbor. Here's a chili thing. And, uh, and that was really sweet. And now we've got a good relationship. We're, we're building a relationship with her. So we just want to be, do that. Um, and, and then it is, again, that it's all questions. I think that's what Josiah was getting to. We just want to ask questions because that's how you convey that you genuinely are interested in this person. I want to learn about you. I'm not just here selling my thing. I'm not here getting my agenda done. I want to know who you are. I want to know, one, do you need a church or do you need a pastor or do you need help with something? And then do you have thoughts about spirituality that you'd like to share right now? And then that's why we've got this track set up with just those questions. And so you're turning, you're asking lots of questions. I wrote a weekly article about this too. It's just all about asking questions and then more questions and more questions. And then you just listen until that opportunity comes. And so even like asking for permission is asking a question. Can I ask you, I've got this little card. Can I ask you some questions that are on here? Um, what do you think about God? And then you just shut your mouth and listen, and then you keep on asking questions. Yeah, if, for those who aren't convictional and just have an idea of, I want to actually just go up to a door, knock on it, and share the gospel immediately, for the rest of you, which is most of you, I want to encourage you that, you know, we're thinking more like, I'd, I'd, I'd be happy if it took you three minutes to get to the gospel, if they're wanting to talk to you, yeah. you know, for, the, for, the, for most of us, it's better to just ask questions, put pebbles in shoes. And again, I really do see it as this is, this is many victories along the way. By you being faithful and going, you've already, you've already been victorious. You've already, uh, you're, you're letting the Holy Spirit show through you in those moments. And then for you to hand that magnet and for you to say, you know, we would love for you to come and visit us sometime. That's big. And that's a victory. And if it ends there, that's, we should praise God and celebrate that, that God has done a good thing. And then asking the spiritual questions is the next victory. It is a real thing. It is really good. You're really putting pebbles in their shoes. And, and you're really sh putting holes in their theology. And then, and then when you can share, you know, I'm, I, I'm not going to put a time limit on this. But when that does happen, the, you know, the transition is, yeah, like, uh, like Chase said, can I share the gospel with you? Can I share my hope? Can I tell you about the God that I believe in, that, that, that's the God of the Bible? So um, if you're intimidated, we're going to put you with, in pairs, and maybe, maybe your simple goal is just, I'm going to knock on a door, and I'm just going to invite them to our church. And that's awesome.
That's really good. And maybe they never come, but they put that magnet up there to hold their kid's report card up. And one of their friends sees that magnet and goes, huh, why do you have that? And they're talking about it. And you know what? They're going to know Desert Springs is a church that doesn't think they're better. It's not an exclusive club, but they actually want people from the community to come visit. So, yeah. One question I could see myself asking when I go up and knock is like, hey, you know, I'm from the church down the street, Desert Springs Church, and um, I have this magnet that I'd like to share with you. Would you mind if I shared with you why I go to Desert Springs Church? And if they're like, sure, then, then it's a similar answer that I give my friends who invite me to go play adult soccer on Sunday mornings, and I say, I can't, because I have church. And then I explain why I, I'm excited to go to church on Sunday mornings instead of playing my favorite sport, mm-hmm. you know, Be- because I get to hear the gospel. And can, do you know what that is? Yeah. Is it okay if I explain just mm-hmm. real quick what the gospel is? Yeah, that's great. And Josiah, one other thing that I really liked about the way that you were approaching putting this all together is you said something like you wanted to give the, our neighbor lots of off ramps. Mm-hmm. So we didn't want them to feel stuck mm-hmm. having the conversation with us. And so it's they could choose not to answer the door that's an off-ramp we give them the magnet and then they say thank you see you later and then they shut the door we're not you know we were joking about like the uh from the shining where he's like trying to hack their door down with with the axe and you know like no we have to talk to you about like if they if they want to not have that conversation that's okay Mm -hmm. you know maybe it was just one step preparing them for the way but Mm -hmm. we want the way that we're doing this is they can choose not to answer a question you can pick up on them that they don't they're not interested mm-hmm. well that's fine you know we can just keep on going and maybe god has appointed somebody else for us to talk to yeah yeah this yeah, this isn't sales where we right. work past a no when they say no you know uh especially if you're going out with dsc if they say no it's no. <laughs> we're moving on <laughs> you can work past a no on your own time <laughs> yeah. great i see a question over here frank Let me, I'll grab some at the end. I'll put them on the, uh, the Connection Center, but it's just information about DSE. Like, okay. If you want a magnet, you have to come next Sunday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're not giving those out today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice try. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, Frank, great question. For those of you that couldn't hear, Frank asked, if next Saturday we're sharing the gospel with somebody and they are tracking along, they're listening, they're loving it, and they want to receive Christ, mm-hmm. um, what kind of guidance would we give to them in that moment? Um, well, I would, I would follow up. I would follow up. So I would say, hey, do you mind if we schedule time to follow up and talk some more about this? Maybe I could stop by next week. Maybe I could treat you to some coffee. Maybe we could meet at my church Sunday. I would just encourage them to follow up and keep having those conversations and build that relationship and trust. Yeah, I don't know, what would you guys say? Yeah, go back to our theology, right? That we don't believe in, um, or how do I say this? We're not trying to just get people to pray a prayer. Yeah. We're not trying to get them baptized so that we can report a number to somebody. Yeah. We believe that if somebody's genuinely saved by the Lord, that there will be conversion, 
regeneration, a true uh, fruit being born in their life that will persist until they die. And so we don't have to put a ton of pressure on the moment that way. So if somebody does, I think, what I would say, I think it's good to give somebody something that kind of feels like they've sealed the deal a little bit. So again, you go to Romans 10, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. And so, so you believe this in your heart? Yes. Well, then will you confess it with your mouth? Will you pray right now? Will you ask God for forgiveness? Will you um, confess that Jesus is Lord? And so have them make kind of a decisive moment. I think it's good for them to direct that to God. They're not repenting to you. They're repenting to God. Um, but then like Daniel was saying, okay, now let's go to church. Come with me to church. This is where I'll meet you on Sunday morning, and you can come here, and then I'm, I'm going to walk with you as you go to DSI classes with me, and we'll join a community group, and we're just going to keep on walking with them as we try to keep watering that seed hmm. that was planted there. And then 30 years from now, we'll say, hey, praise God, you were saved when I shared the gospel with you because uh, you're still here. So, yeah. Now we're going to have a list of people we're going to offer one-on-one uh, -on -one Bible studies with. So if someone is interested and you're having a great conversation and yeah, either, either they are saying, Hey, I want to put my faith in Jesus, or they're saying, I have a lot of questions. Yeah. We're going to want to take uh, their name down and we're going to offer them a one-on-one -on -one Bible study. So that may be something you yourself can offer, but you know, I can imagine a scenario where a man's answering the door and there's two ladies, you know, you know, then we're passing it off to a, a man in the church who's going to do an excellent job discipling that brother. But that's the same thing you would do with a friend, right? Yeah. Is we're going to invite them to church. We're going we're gonna to aff affirm the good uh, uh, statement they're making, not saying it's true, but saying that that's what a believer does is they confess Jesus is Lord. That is awesome. Come to church with me. Read the Bible with me. Uh, let's join a community group. So, yeah. yeah all these things are good. Yeah, great question. See a hand over here. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. For those of you that couldn't hear, just how, how do you share the gospel? What encouragements do you have in sharing the gospel to people that are particularly hostile toward Christians? And especially on the college campus. Yeah. Yeah. Hold this. I'm going to get my spiel about college ministry. <laughs> <laughs> I think college ministry is the most strategic ministry that any church can be investing in because I got saved in college. Maybe it's just impartial. Um, but college ministry, right, the college campus is the season, a student on the college campus is in the season of life where if they haven't already believed in Jesus, they are probably the most likely to hear the gospel and believe because all of the attachments that an adult would have that would make repenting and believing really, really risky for them, that they stand to lose, a, you stand to lose a lot when you're 45 and you've been in a really sinful marriage and your job is built around you doing unbelieving things and you just, there's a lot there that would make you fearful, but a college student stands to lose nothing, right, because they have nothing, 
They're also in a period of transition, okay? And usually when you look at when people hear the gospel and repent, it's when they're in a season of transition. They're looking for new community. They're looking for new friends. They're, they're uh, scared and worried because there's a lot of uncertainty in their life. Um, they're also in a place where they're out from previous influences that might have been part of what uh, has kept them from believing in the gospel. Uh, they're also from all over the world. The college campus is a place that gets people in from all over the place. And a lot of times they come from countries that we can't send missionaries to, but they come to us and then we can convert them and then they go back into those as citizens into those countries. Um, and you, on a, you as a college student have so much more free time than the rest of us have. I know you don't feel like you do, but you do. And you live with these people. Or you're around these people. You're in these classrooms with these people all the time. So that's just to me an encouragement. You are in an incredibly strategic place. God has placed you in a place where uh, you can be so strategic. And then you feel that burden of, wow, these people are really, really lost. And I think it was you that was saying that. Like, we should have compassion there, right? Like, it's hard and it's shocking. Um, but the reason they're like that is because they don't know their creator. And so you have an opportunity to do that. And then I know you know Jay Leibold, but he's right here. He's the director of Christian Challenge at UNM. And his whole job is to teach college students how to do this. So if you love college ministry, if you think it's important, meet this guy, okay? And help encourage the work that we're doing on that, on that college campus. I'm glad for you here. Jay, raise your hand. There he is. Jay Leibold, the director of, it's, what's it called? BSU, BCM. Formerly BSU, now Christian Challenge. He's a college minister. So I love that, that question. I was a part of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at UNM. And just a few things that we used to do is we would pray at the Duck Pond every week, a group of us, for the campus. So saturating evangelism with prayer right, is important. Another thing we would do is we'd have Bible studies on campus. So we would invite people. We would serve free hot chocolate during finals free coffee, free apple cider, and then invite them to a Bible study. Um, another thing that we would do is, or another thing I'd recommend is go to office hours where you can actually get to know your professors and start ask, getting to know them and asking questions. I've shared the gospel. I shared the gospel with professors at UNM through office hours. And then another um, example would be that acquaintance list that I gave you. Take it, put it in a journal somewhere where you'll, you'll, all of you like should put it somewhere where you'll see it frequently, every day, every week. Take it with you and go to the library, get to know the librarian, write her name down. Go to the same place for coffee, like frequent, make a routine where you go to these places daily or weekly and you get to know the people and then you can start asking those questions and praying for them at the duck pond every week, you know, inviting other Christians to pray with you. And I think that's just maybe some good methods that would I think there's a lot to be thankful to for the Lord um, putting them in that situation and they're they're actually thinking through you know right and wrong judgment and it's all you know I'm reminded like Muslims you know in some ways it's a lot easier to share the gospel with like a practicing Muslim than like you know in Turkey they're they're you know I kind of refer to them as the worst Muslims not because <laughs> sorry that's not a moral judgment that's just like they don't they don't practice it so they claim to be Muslim, but they don't actually practice it. So how do you engage theological topics when they're just like dead to it? They're just like, well, it's what my family believes. And if I become a Christian, I'll lose my job. So go away. You know, that's a harder conversation. So, in, yeah, I think there's a lot to celebrate in, in college students. And they're working these things out. And once they say, you, you know, I know that was just an example, but like, 
you know, Christians are the worst. I mean, you've already started the conversation right there. Well, why are they the worst? Tell me. What, what, you know, what does that mean? You know, what's, does, where do we get uh, right and wrong? You know, there's so many ways you can go about that. So, uh, yeah, there's a pros and cons to every people group and every walk of life and sharing the gospel with them. But there's a lot to celebrate there. Yeah. Uh, let's just do one more question. And then who wants to be the last one? Who's going to put their hand up high for the last one? Right over here? Rand, Randy's okay. had his hand up the whole time. You're, Randy, yeah. Randy, little elder privilege right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. All right, Leah Bachelor in the back. Yeah, great question. So how do, for, in the context of a relationship with someone, how do you speak with love and kindness and gentleness and also speak clearly about sin? I want to be clear about my own sin and that, you know, when I'm telling them that, that we have all fallen short of the glory of God, it's like me and that, um, the, and be really clear on that. I mean, obviously not to dive into details of my failures and give Satan a platform, but uh, I want to be really clear that we're both needy for Jesus. It's just I recognize it, and I want them to also. Yeah, yeah I remember one time I was sharing the gospel with, uh, or trying to, with a guy, and it was just a person that I walked up to. Um, and we were having a really, really good conversation about uh, a similar method, just asking questions. So tell me, what do you think about God? And just drawing that out of them. Tell me, what do you think about what's wrong with the world? Let's draw that out. Um, and it was going really, really well. And then he kind of remembered, it was, this was how it was. It was like he remembered, oh, I'm homosexual and you're Christian. So that means we, we don't like each other. And the whole conversation changed. And he was really pressing me on, uh, well, I can't come to your church because you, you think I'm a bad person because of this and this and this. And I actually kind of stepped back from him at the end. And, and I said, hey, we weren't talking about that. I, like, we can talk about that if that's what you want to, but we were talking about what you think about God. We were talking about what you think about what's wrong with the world. Let's go back to these foundational things, because until we're clear about that, this thing that you're kind of focusing on right now, that won't make sense. You know, it's kind of like what you were saying. Like, I can't talk about Jesus yet, because you don't have the right categories there. And so I almost want to make sure I have those categories in place, and then from there, I can start saying, okay, so if God does own you, if God does know what's best for you, do you think that you doing what his word has clearly said is not best for you is actually best for you? Why do you how do you have that certainty? You know, and so we can kind of start with those presuppositions again that are what really matters, and then we can start. And I, so I'm not saying that you shouldn't address sin and be very clear on that, but, but don't do that until you know that you've really hit those other points, and then you're building, you're kind of building a, a building on top of that foundation. Guys, great questions. Um, if you have other questions, um, these men, well, I'm volunteering for them, they're going to hang around and you can ask 
them questions after here. Um, also, I brought some books on evangelism if you'd like to learn more, so I'll bring them up here, and you're welcome to take a peek. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and so I've got two thank yous and then two announcements before we go. First, thank you guys for taking the time to come here. We hope this has been a service to you guys and that you do feel more um, competent uh, at doing this and confident that the Lord can use you to do this. Second, we want to thank these three men for the time they took putting these together, um, time away from their families, all those sorts of things. Um, two announcements. Um, as you make your way out of here, um, we have books set out um, on the Connection Center table. I think we have around 60 copies, which I don't think will serve every individual here. So maybe let's do one book for individual or family. Does that sound good? So if you're interested in those resources, they're out there at the Connection Center. Make your way out. Grab those books on your way out. The other announcement is next Saturday, we're going door to door. Um, surely you've heard this by now. Um, and you're ready now. So next Saturday, we'll see you here at 530. We'll meet in the foyer or the foyer, if you're one of those people. Um, but we'll see you here next week at 530. And I would encourage you guys, maybe from now until then, encourage somebody who's not here to come and say, hey, come with me. I saw what we talked about. I think I can help you do this. Um, it's going to be good for you, even if you don't know what you're doing. Come on. And so let's try and double our workforce from now until next Saturday. Sound good? Great. Let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed. Uh, Lord, we are grateful uh, for the time that we've had this morning. And God, we um, look to you to, um, to water um, and to, or to cause growth in our lives and in the lives of our unbelieving friends and families that we know. Um, God, we already are going to ask uh, for the people that we're going to interact with next week. As was said earlier, would you happen uh, as we go door to door to make us run into elect people? And would you give us boldness by your spirit to speak clearly and confidently um, and gently about um, hard things? And God, we pray that you would be at work. Um, God, please do this next week as we go out. Um, but God, even more than that, we're not just wanting to evangelize next Saturday. God, help us to work this in to be a lifestyle where we would be praying more frequently and more fervently for unbelievers we know and give us intentionality and wisdom in our daily lives um, to, to speak of Christ when opportunity presents itself. And God, we look to you to make those opportunities clear and we pray that you would bless it. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Thanks, guys.